Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car, or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I popped on the rewatchables. We did Austin Powers 25th anniversary. That went up on Monday night. I was also on the Prestige TV podcast twice. Just two shows I really like right now. Winning time, we did the second and last episode. Me, Waz, and uh, Chris Ryan. And then also, second episode of We Own This City, the spiritual, I would say, nephew of The Wire. It's only six episodes. It's on HBO Max. We love this show, so we broke that one down as well. Coming up on this podcast, me and Bob Valgaris and Kyle Mann are going to break down tonight's games, which were really, really, really fascinating. And then our old friend Peter Schrager comes on to talk about the NFL draft our last thoughts on some big picture stuff, like what it meant for wide receivers, what it meant for the New York teams, what it meant for short quarterbacks. We dove into it. This is a good podcast. First, our friends coming to LA this week. Pearl Jam. All right, taping this, it is 921 Pacific time on Tuesday. Just watched two really fascinating basketball games. Bob Valgaris is back. Welcome back, Bob. Ringer, we, ringer at this point. We are joined by uh, J. Kyle Mann as well. Let's talk about Memphis Golden State first. Bob, you were talking about the speed before we came on. Explain what you saw from a speed standpoint in this game. Um, I mean, it just... it it. Uh, this isn't like a real hot take or anything, but it just seems like Jaws just got way too much athleticism for most of these guys. And it's interesting. I, I, you know, Golden State did get to more loose balls and did, did have a, a decent job of, of, of playing in, in some ways, but it, it, they obviously couldn't handle Morant. And it's interesting to me that they never once let, they never once tried to make him go right, it seemed like. And they never once took the ball out of his hands to have either Melton or uh, I guess a, like a, a hobbled Bane beat them, which seemed to me like a pretty big mistake. But 
you know, easy to yeah, say. Yeah, Kyle, I was waiting for the trap. It just never came. Ja ended up, he was 15 for 31. He had 47 points, hit five threes, got the line 13 times. And I mean, the biggest play of this game was Gary Payton getting knocked out because that yeah. was their guy. I think the athlete that you're talking about that could at least stay with them gets knocked out on a pretty cheap foul by Brooks. I, on the cheap foul, it wasn't like a 10 out of 10, but it was like a seven and a half. And I think it was like a nine and a half out of 10. It, it Maybe an eight and a half. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> pretty um, bad. But so he's out there and then Clay, who we'll get to in a second, just does not have the foot speed anymore to stay with somebody like Ja. What did you see, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, uh, trapping him just seems like trying to grab like an eel with your bare hands. Like, I, I mean, you, you can't get positional kind of leverage on him because he's so freaking quick. And you're right. I mean, when Peyton went down, not that anybody really can stay in front of Ja. But yeah, I mean, I just I, I kind of got this feeling throughout the game. I was just like, this just has like a star composure vibe to it. And I know this was like his point total. Point total doesn't always tell the whole story, you know, efficiency, all those other things. But I just feel like his composure throughout the game, you're right. They didn't take the ball out of his hands. And he just looked uh, totally in control throughout that game and just kind of willed them. Considering the lack of creation that they have, <laughs> the, the fact that they couldn't get the ball out of his hands, I thought was just pretty pretty tough for Golden State, all things. They didn't really he, try to get the ball out of his hands, though, yeah? Like, I mean, yeah. they they just were happy to pre-switch and have Clay come up instead of Poole, except for the third to last possession. Poole fucked up. And... uh and so Poole had to guard him because they didn't pre-switch. Um, and then they just kind of kind of dealt with it and ended up being like a blow-by for a, a attack to the rim. If you're Memphis, you have to be so fired up that basically nobody else played that well in this game other than your one guy. Like, Zaire Williams was good. Five for nine, played 28 minutes, was in there at crunch time. This was a guy that led to some of the most polarizing uh, NBA draft debates we had last summer about was this guy, what the hell happened to him and his one college or all that stuff. He's out there in crunch time. Melton, who only had three points, but was pretty destructive on the other end, had a huge block of step. But you mentioned how Bain looked like he's just doesn't seem healthy. Um, Jaron Jackson followed up a career game. was three for 14. This was really the Josh show. He is at this zone now where when he's feeling it like this, the guys are going backwards before he's doing anything. It's a little like watching when Giannis has the head of steam and the guys are going backwards because they're just trying. But Jaws, not Giannis. He's like, what, 6'3"? But they were just so worried about staying in front of him. I, I'll be really interested to see what they do in game three because I can't imagine this would be the game plan. I also don't think we're going to see Peyton again. That reminded me of the, uh, the Rondo Dwayne Wade injury in 2011 where sometimes the arm just goes down and you can see the elbow going sideways. So even if he plays again, I think he's going to have... Was, you know, was one of those GP's arm a hyperextension or just a, a bang? I thought he just banged it. Or did he hyperextend it? I, did, I didn't see that on the replay. I think something bad happened. Like, it reminded me of the Rondo thing. I think his arm went the wrong way. So mm -hmm. um, I would go hyperextension, probably something like that. Um, did you think Old State was going to win this game, Bob? With like four minutes left? I felt like they were actually going to win. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was... Like if you were live betting, who would you live bet on? With four minutes left, I, I before the game I thought Golden State was going to win. How about that? Me too. During the game, I was just wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking, I was just enjoying the game. So I, it looked to me like one team was 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 attacking a weak link, and the other team was unable to. Like Jaw, like here's the thing, Jaw had the ball in his hands for eighty five percent of the game when he was in the game, and maybe more. I can look at it later. And the 
inability to hunt him and make him pay at the other end, you know, can pay. If you can do that, it can pay some dividends down the stretch where he fatigues, he tires up. They tried to hunt him a little bit on the offensive glass with Wiggins. Cried, you know, they hit him on Wiggins. He basically never moved from from the corner every now and then. But yeah, I don't know. If I was watching it, it felt like it felt like Memphis was just a little bit quicker to everything down the stretch. Kyle, we were talking before you came on the Zoom about these situations in NBA history where the younger team, and it's hard to overstate how young Memphis is. I mean, Jazz 22. Yeah. There were NFL draft picks on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday that were two years older than him. Um, young, fast, athletic. This was something that used to happen a lot in the 80s. We would always see like the next wave. There'd be like those Mavericks teams and the early Pistons when they had like Sally and Rodman and people like that. Um, it's kind of part of NBA lore. We were trying to think of teams recently that were like that. And we were thinking of that one OKC, the early OKC, when it was like early Westbrook and early Harden and early Ibaka and early Durant, where it just seemed, they had that one Spurs series where all of a sudden they just seemed faster and more athletic. I'm not ready to say that that's what's happening yet in this series because I do feel like the Warriors, I like the shots that they got. They just missed them. Clay airballed one. Wiggins missed a wide open three. I felt like Steph could get where he wanted. And I, I'm i not worried about them offensively, but defensively, it feels like something's got to give. What you, would you see from that end, Kyle? I think if you're going to play the variance game, are you going to get another five for 12 from three John Morant game? I don't know. I think I'll probably, you know, play the odds and live with him taking step back threes at some point. Granted, you can't keep him out of the middle either. Um, yeah. And also the variance thing with like clay, the clay pool thing is kind of an interesting dynamic that I've been keeping an eye on like there back and forth because there's one sequence where pool was just getting to the basket at will. And he he just had one play where he like fell down and kind of I forget if it was a turnover or did, nothing really happened and Clay like bent down and you could see him like talking to him directly like hey which Clay obviously has earned the right to you know expect to get the ball he's always kind of been like that he's always been the guy like I need to get the ball I, I need to have my my plant watered every once in a while but um yeah that that dynamic is interesting i don't know if should clay interesting like you're like you're saying like interesting in like a soap opera way a little bit like a little <laughs> well, like Clay's think, a little threatened pulls on his corner well i think that clay you know the warriors have kind of auditioned i was talking with tyler parker about this just the other day like the warriors have kind of auditioned these sort of like wild variable like offensive guys to add to their big three and it's like Poole is the one that has kind of like earned the most trust. Granted, they need him a little bit more now because Clay's not Clay anymore. But yeah, I mean, Clay likes to shoot the ball. So, I mean, I'm sure he's kind of just like, I'm still me. You know, I need yeah. to be shooting it. But should he be shooting more than Poole at this point? I think that's kind of a question to ask. I don't even think it's a question. Yeah. I mean, Clay, Clay was five for 19 tonight, two for 12 from three. Yikes. And you he, can't guard it, he can't guard the way he used to be able to either. So Yeah, he looks, he looks like he's doesn't have the foot speed to keep up with some of these guys. Um, I think like there's a, some diminishing returns having those three guys out there all at the same time. Like I would, I mean, they, they do stagger them in a, at a, on a, at a decent level. I just don't know what else, who else they would play. That's the other thing. Like, okay, what are you going to, who are you? So let's say you decide to go defense. Who are you going to put it instead of pool or instead of clay? Like, I mean, you can't play Peyton. He's out. Damian Lee. I don't know. Gets tough. Well, that's why they were playing Peyton so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. today for me, today was the day where the lineup of death two kind of died <laughs> because 
it's now insulting to the original lineup of death. There is no way John Morant is just scoring at will against the 2015 Warriors. I just don't see it. Yeah, the the death the original death lineup with Iguodala and Green. I mean, there was nobody to attack. I mean, the guy to attack was Curry, and Curry's not even a bad defender, <laughs> right? And 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 this is like literally they're just walking the guy up over and over and over again, and going right by him and pool. And then the other guy, like Clay, is doing his best. He's but he's he's this is too tough for him. I I think that this is too much. But I don't know. I I, I was curious. Kyle's comments pretty interesting in in terms of like those two guys together. I've never really thought about it that way. It's something to think about. Somebody pointed it out on Twitter and then I was really watching for it tonight. Uh, but yeah, it's, I could see them kind of having like a weird dynamic just based on their like outrageous confidence kind of levels, you know, figuring out how to coexist. Well, Golden State still has three home games left. I mean, they got the game they needed. They, I felt like they could have had this one. I saw Scott Foster at the, at the beginning and I was like, okay, the extender is here. <laughs> not not feeling great for the Golden State. I did not bet on this game. Um, but I saw him and he, for the most part, the fouls were pretty okay. The one that I didn't like was near the end, that Draymond push off on the John why rebound. Why didn't they challenge that? Did there they was, have a challenge left? Yeah, they did. In fact, they had a challenge left and they called timeout after the so Ooh. they so so after the free throw. So they could have challenged it already pre-called their play if it was a failure after the timeout, so they wouldn't have to call another timeout, basically called the play and inbounded the ball. Um, I mean, maybe they thought it was not going to get overturned, but you're kind of free-rolling. Are you really going to use your challenge with 40 some seconds left at that point afterwards? So I think that was... Uh, I mean, they only showed one replay, one, and a half, you know, one or two replays of it, but it, it didn't look like a foul to me. Whether it would have got overturned with the extender involved, like you said, I don't know. <laughs> it was... First of all, it was, a, it was a touch foul at best. Second of all, this was one of the most physical games we've had of the entire postseason. And in terms of all the shit that was going on in this game, that that uh, did not pass the sniff test for me. And that was a well, huge call because they were about to go the other way. Now, all of a sudden, Memphis is up three and, and the game kind of shifted. I did not like that. Wiggins, so Wiggins had this big two-hand jam in the first half. And Wiggins is one of those, he's like, he's like a cat where your cat might ignore you for a month and then all of a sudden your cat's jumping down your lap and you're like, hey, the cat, the cat's here. And Wiggins is like that in some of these games where he's dunking, he's talking shit and you're like, oh, Wiggins is here. This is, Wiggins showed up for this. He got, the Gary Payton thing made him mad and that lasted about a half hour. And then by, by the end of the game, uh, he was back to, yeah, I mean, he missed a massive three. I thought when Curry banked the three, Usually that means that team, whoever gets a bank three at a big moment, I always feel like that team is just going to win. I don't know what the what the stats are. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, oh no, bad side for Memphis, but uh, but that was not. Yeah, I without Peyton, um, it's they're almost going to have to just quicken up the pace and try to outscore Memphis because I'm not sure they're going to be getting a lot of half court stops. I don't know what other adjustments do you think we'd see, Kyle? Uh, I thought it was uh, you were talking. I wanted to throw on there about the uh, the Draymond cheapy foul. Um, I thought that Zaire got away with a push. Yeah, I thought he pushed Draymond in the back the play before. And then the next trip, uh, overall, I thought it was just a weird, chippy whistle. I don't know if the beginning of the game kind of mm. set that precedent. Because I thought throughout the game, the Warriors were kind of like poking and like swatting at people who had control of the ball. And it was a weird whistle for Memphis throughout. Um, yeah, in terms of like adjustments, I, I thought it was interesting that Memphis wasn't, uh, the fact that, Jaron Jackson, the foul trouble, 
Uh, you could tell, you could kind of sense that after he had that big career night from three, that maybe he was going to be a little over eager with the threes tonight. I, I don't even know if he broke 30 minutes tonight. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Jaron Jackson missed threes and Jaron Jackson fouls would have been two good overs for this game coming, coming up his career <laughs> high in both uh, the last time. Yeah. The fact that if he, if he was going to be willing to continue to settle for from three like that, I thought that that was an interesting thing that Memphis wasn't it, uh, considering all the factors that. I mean, Jaw really was like uh, the whatever the, the the commercial, the flex seal. He basically was was the flex seal for a lot of issues tonight. And we're yeah. going to remember this like star performance. But the fact that Bain basically is like 98 finals, Scotty Pippen out there, like he can't attack closeouts. I was telling you, I was I was paying attention to see if he'd been over at the ways throughout the game. I was like, that's that's like affecting the way Golden State is able to like liberally help off of Jaw. Not that it really mattered. Um I don't know. I, th- I think the variance is probably going to be the thing that I would roll the dice on if I was the Warriors, because I don't think that's going to happen again. And we don't think Brooks gets suspended for game three, right? That'll be it. I'm guessing. They usually don't do the suspension on top of the suspension. We basically Bob, got I, for this game. Um, yeah. Like 40 seconds or something. Bob, I have a, I have a jaw question for you. Okay. LeBron, LeBron waded in. LeBron was hibernating for, I don't know, he went on vacation. He decided to uh, wait in. He had a tweet about how stupid it was that Ja won most improved player. Took a shot at some of the dweebs that vote for Maybe MVP. drinking a little. You think LeBron was sipping some of his He, he had a couple, a couple of glasses of wine before that one, possibly. Um, I was psyched because I did not vote for Ja for one, two, or three for my most improved. I had... I voted for Jordan Poole because he was in the fucking G League last year. And to me, that's like the definition of most approved. You're like barely hanging on. And now you're this integral part of a good team. I think I had Garland second, I had Desmond Bain third. I agree with LeBron's point. I thought Ja was good last year. I don't think you should win most approved when you're already good. Like if you go from, now some people have said, well, if you go from good to great, that counts as most improved. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the spirit of the award. What did you think, Bob? Yeah, I mean, I don't pay much attention to the not to not want, but I just don't like I, he was to me. He was great last year. He's great this year. He's probably better this year. Like most improved. Yeah, if a guy's playing in the G League and now he's closing out NBA playoff games with a <laughs> with a, with a three seed, you know, he might be, a, you know, he might have made some improvements. Yeah, he might, he might be a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think like that for the adjustments that Memphis had. I mean, Golden State has some adjustments they could make, like for sure. Like, Let's hear him. Um, okay, I mean, this is something that's kind of like a pet peeve of a lot of NBA Twitter people, but like, I get that Golden State doesn't run a ton of pick and roll. They don't target people. Uh, they, their, their off ball action, their split cuts, it works very, very well. But the, you know, the top three team in the league in defending those is Memphis. And Memphis isn't really having problems with it. And so you're doing all of this stuff. And yeah, every once in a while it looks great. You got to cut to the, cut to the basket. That's the layup. But like, Memphis is not. Like you saw the what happened in the first few minutes of game one when they were using Gary Payton in the short roll. They're not great at pick and roll defense versus the team, especially if you're gonna bring if you're gonna bring drop, they're gonna have to string it out. So I I just think they're they may have to adjust their offense a little bit. And I know that's kind of something that they have been really, really re- you know, hesitant to do over the years, but it's I think they're just being a little bit too cute here. The stuff they're doing isn't working great on offense. They're not punishing anyone defensively. And their guys aren't really going off. Steph hasn't really. I mean, what is what was Steph tonight? He wasn't a bit. He, I mean, he was, three he was for 11, eleven for twenty-five. Yeah, three for eleven from three. Yeah, I mean, twenty-five shots, twenty-seven points. That's not like a Steph night. It's not a great night, you know. 
true shooting is not that great. So that's what I would look at a little bit. Can you go to more traditional? If, if, if a team like Dallas or Phoenix was playing Memphis, it would be a completely different look to the series because they would just be habitually bringing people up over and over and over again, attacking them, wearing them down. And then it, it wears you down on the other end too. Jod can just stand in the corner and just kind of chill on Wiggins. It's like, why not run a Spain pick and roll every now and then? Off-ball, try to run some off-ball screens to bring them up, force them to come someplace else. They did a little bit of it when they had the Draymond play where Draymond had the, the you know, Seth had the layup, Cool had the layup. They did a little bit of that. But I think when they tried it, they weren't really that good at it because Melton broke up a couple of them. And I think it's just an example of them not really emphasizing it all year. Well, Kyle, one thing we know we're not going to see in game three is apparently Gary Payton because it just, word came out, he has a fractured left elbow. Yeah, I didn't want to, but I had heard that from someone that he was, he was donezo. Yeah, so that's a little different than the old hyperextended. We will not be seeing him. And that's a, that's a shame. Yeah. I was, that was one of my favorite stories, this guy that uh, scrapped and plus getting hurt on a fluke play like that. So any, other, uh, like, any other adjustments for you, Kyle, before we move on? Probably, I mean, the most disruptive backcourt defender that they have. And I mean, that's kind of, I think what Bob said is, is pretty on the money that like Memphis is like off ball switchability, like pliability defensively. Like they have guys that are pretty positionally smart that can be like, like Melton has incredible timing and hands. Uh, on that last play, I don't know why Steph tried to float that layup over him. I don't know why he didn't just like bring the arc down on it because Melton mm. sniffed that out pretty perfectly. Um, but yeah, it's it's a team that that just has a lot of uh, big, rugged kind of switchable athletes. I don't even know if Iguodala would be. I mean, he's he's obviously got all that. I mean, he's really clever. I don't know physically if he would be able to. It'd be interesting to see him in this series. I that, that's one that I I wish we could have gotten to see against Memphis. I have one more thought on this, but let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring. At simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Coming back, I was thinking, what a great night for the NBA where Celtics Bucks, which smart goes out, and you think, oh man, the Celtics could be down two nothing in this series if this, you know, if they start come out, they miss a couple threes, whatever. The Celts win. We'll talk about that in a second. 
that Memphis ties the Golden State Series, but more importantly, Ja has just a fucking awesome playoff game, right? Like really a moment for a guy that when you think about the league, just where it is now, where they're so dependent on some of these older stars and yet this new generation seems to be emerging, right? Giannis is the king. Giannis is the best player in the league now. And you have the Jokic and Bede and you have Tatum and you have Booker. And now you also have this kind of underclassman class led by Ja, who's 22 years old, who it looks like this series is going to go six or seven. He has a chance to potentially even uh, make the Western finals if, you know, they only have to win three more games. But I they, I still don't feel like, even though we all know who Ja is, I still don't feel like, like somebody like my mom doesn't know who he is. <laughs> like my, my wife doesn't know who he is. My daughter doesn't know who he is. Like there's still, you need the playoff games. I feel like Giannis in the finals last year gets introduced to this whole new audience, right? People know who Giannis, everyone knows who Giannis is now. And I, I think with Ja, him beating Golden State, him toppling Curry, toppling Draymond, toppling Clay, and just sending those guys packing and moving to the next round, that would be an incredible feat for a 22-year-old. Like LeBron it's, didn't make the conference final. Did he make the conference finals? He was 22. I think he was 23. But anyway, I just think this is this could be potentially, this is a moment that's sitting here for this dude. I'm yeah, shocked I think, to hear that your mom doesn't know who Tom Arnold is. <laughs> <laughs> Does he need to be on like one of the national like morning news shows, like like Good Morning America or something, maybe to cross that threshold? But I, I think I think you're right that like when you were talking about young teams, uh, there there's this kind of thing like I I was I always call it like the you're in my way kind of series, like where the young team is like we're trying to climb, and, yeah. and there's there are these established teams like Golden State is a comparison that people have thrown around a lot for this Memphis team. I don't know that they Golden State sort of like was right before like a paradigm shift in the league. I don't know that they're necessarily that one of those is going to come again. Bob might have a better opinion on that, but I think that uh, yeah, I mean. And stars specifically have these occasions where we're like, okay, he went up. I know the 80s has all these like storybook kind of instances of this, like the the Pistons had to overcome the Celtics and the, and it just keeps begetting the next Bulls had the next to beat guy. the Pistons, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's Jaw, I kind of feel like Jaw is even ex- exceeding a little bit my expectations for him because uh, I didn't expect this this early for, from him. Like his playoff composure um, has been really impressive. Um, honestly, I didn't expect the three point shooting in tense games like this, well, right? That was the rub on him was let him shoot. He's not, you know, well, they, let they, him miss they, from deep. They gave him uh, dare threes early in the game, which I get you can't stay in front of him. So why not? But to me, it seemed like it was. I don't know. I feel like there's other options if you're willing to take risks. I don't know. Like what? I mean, I would, I would throw something at him. I would throw a double at him. Yeah, he's very. They got, they got, they had come, like Kaminga out there. I, I mean, don't think that Kaminga is a second guy in a pick and roll can't like disrupt something a little bit. Just, just try something. Just fatigue him a little bit. He's too easy. He's fucking the guy's rolling the ball up to half court. He's yeah, taking time off there. He's he's standing. He's taking three steps on defense to Wiggins and back in the paint. Then Wiggins back in the paint. Like he had an amazing game, and I'm not meaning to degrade him in any way, not even a little bit, but like he, you have to make a guy like that work hard. You have to give him the Trey Young treatment where you bust him on the other end because that's what's going to fatigue him because you're not going to stop him when, when he has the ball in his hands at do all. Do you think, 
Do you think putting him in a crowd affects him the same way that it does Trey? Because it seems like Jaws like a Houdini when you put him in the... I know Ryan was talking about this the other night. He'll just be... He'll disappear into a crowd and somehow make something out of nothing. Sure. Not out of nothing. I, yeah. I, yeah. But I also know that if he's going one-on-one against Jordan Poole, that's a layup. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, will it work? Maybe not. Like, it's not going to completely shut him down, but we we know what the other side is doing. I mean, like, I get it. You play off him and you let him take those threes and... Um, but he, it's not like at the end of the game, it's, it's not like they were giving him the three and then that was, that was forcing him to take bad threes. He still was getting by people. They were still picking out who they wanted to attack and going after him. With Peyton out, this is a really nice spot for him. You know, I was thinking like the Milwaukee series, which we're about to talk about, they just decided nobody on Boston can really dribble that well. We're just going to make life a living hell for everybody who's dribbling the ball up. Who's it going to be? Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, oh, Tatum, Brown. Wait, Al Horford's going to dribble it up this time? Great. We're pre- Drew Holiday apparently is just a, a marathon runner now. I don't know. He's, he could just play 94 feet for 48 minutes and guard everybody full court. But they made a concerted effort from the first minute of game one, which the announcers, I think, between the two games combined, maybe mentioned once, that we're just going to make this really hard for you every step of the way. And you're going to be starting your offense at the 14-second mark and we're going to put miles on you. We're going to try to tear you out. Jalen Brown, your hammy hurts. Well, good luck trying to dribble up. We're going to make you have to stop and start and twist and turn. And then you watch Ja against the Warriors. And as as Bob said, that, you know, they're rolling, <laughs> balls rolling to midcourt before he picks it up. He's got a full head of steam. You can't really hit him because he's almost like trying to tackle a running back. He's just so slithery. He can just kind mm. of find any spot. So it's not even like you could be that physical with him. And then on yeah. top of it, you have the Draymond thing where Draymond's terrified he's going to get a flagrant every time now. Yeah. So, I mean, you could try to make him go right once. That could work. I mean, I don't know. I would over just be and like over. Very he, was, he, he loves to get, you're right. He, he went left over and over and over. It's like, try to figure out which side he likes to kick from. I'm sure they know this. Like, which side is he more comfortable skipping from? Fun because mm-hmm. you can't. You, it's not like Giannis, like we saw tonight. Like you're not going to wall jaw up. It's not the yeah. same thing. He's going to slither around and get into the paint. I, I looked. I, Second Spectrum had a stat where he was like per 100. It's like his paint uh, attempts are like up there with like sinners. Like he, he's like a really yeah. obvious outlier in that sure. way. So, so you're funneling him, and you just pick the most. I, I think you got to dare Bain. You got to dare Mil- Melton. You got to hope Jaron Jackson makes a dumb mistake. They they have to try something different. Yeah, because like it, it just bring extra help in some form or fashion. Bob, would this have been your favorite team to advise if you could have advised any team where they have all these players that you could just, depending on the matchup, just be like, hey, this feels like a Zaire Williams series. <laughs> no, I tell you what, I talked to um, the guys from Memphis at Sloan when I went this year and I, I had never met them before and I just wanted to tip my hat. And they, they are the best drafting team. Like anytime we were looking at a guy that we like, whether it was like a, a 48 rule guy, like that wasn't drafted. They I mean, Conchar on draft. They, they, they basically have a bunch of spreadsheet players on their team, Melton, Conchar. Mm. And, and so I don't, I, would I like to, I don't think they need me. Like they're, they're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't like, I like working where people would actually value my opinion. These guys don't need me They're I mean, they nailed the Bane selection. They nailed, I mean, Brandon Clark, they got Conchar that they didn't think they've done everything right. I mean, it's really remarkable. Look at that. Look at the team they rolled out there. It's super impressive. The data community loved Clark and, and loved Bain. Both of those were like inexplicable slips. But yeah, like Memphis is to the point where 
if I'm like projecting a player and I have them higher than consensus and, and Memphis moves up to grab them, it's yeah. to the point where I give, I'm like, oh, I, oh, okay. You feel good about one. yourself before yeah. even anything even happened. Yeah. 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 Every, every like our, our, I think our draft model is very, because I mean, the, these draft models, they're not, you know, there's, there's only so much data from college and they're all using some form of adjusted plus minus and it just becomes like a, a, you know, how much you're valuing different box score stats and so, but they do a very good job and they obviously have some people that are doing not just analytic stuff, but also eye test stuff that's very good. They're, I think done. they're doing, I think they use some personality stuff because you think of the guys, there's like a certain type of guy, certain Maybe. type of personality they have because, you know, there's football teams that do this. Like the Ravens in football always have like, a certain type of guy that feels very Ravensy. Well, and, I'm, yeah, I don't think. I mean, I think that. I mean, the Bane thing is definitely true because this guy seems like he's like the toughest dude I've ever. I mean, this. I, we didn't like. I, I they interviewed him, and I guess we, we didn't interview him, and I wasn't involved in any interviews anyways. But I don't like would have been able to identify it. But um, yeah, they're yeah, good. It's good. like tough, competitive dudes. All right, Bucks, Celtics. So this was a weird one. The Celtics come out. They make everything for six, seven minutes, and they take a double digits lead. That doesn't really ever change. Jalen has 27 in the first half. Um, at the same time, they can barely get the ball over midcourt, but then when they do, they get wide open shots and make them. No smart. Derek White and Pritchard are just awful in this game. I guess White was okay on the defensive end, but offensively, they had six points combined at the point guard position, and they were all wide open shots. I think they were two for 12. They missed everything. The Celtics in general, in the second half, there was a point where they, in like 20 plus minutes, I think they had like 26 points. Like it, not only could they not score, the shots they were getting were at the end of the shot clock, hand in your face. They had 24 second violations. But yeah. this was a game I thought, um, I don't know what you guys thought, but I thought Milwaukee, this was a Middleton game. This is where like nothing's going where it's really nice to just have Chris Middleton making those 17 footers just to kind of keep you around and lingering. And they, they didn't have a, they didn't have that one kind of just reliable, Oh, that guy will get us two points. What else did you see in the game, Kyle? Uh, I think the big thing to speak two points. The first one is, um, Oh, maybe three. Uh, Boston came out offensively with like incredible energy to start with. I, I'm not trying to be like alchemy, like uh, je ne sais quoi type thing, but like they did. They came out with incredible energy. But and I big think sla big, big slash and kick vibe. Yeah, yeah. Slashing and kicking and, and re-slashing and re-kicking. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game of, uh, he. I think M.A. was talking about wanting to have a lot of driving kick and get make Boston like rotate and defend into the clock. But I thought the big thing, too, was like in game one, the big difference was Waz and I talked about this. Giannis was like really, really good at seeing the doubles coming and just seeing that taking a dribble and seeing where the help is coming from, which is something he's developed over the years. But it was similar kind of the, to the Phoenix thing last night where, you know, Dallas has this bottleneck of dependable creation. Like they really depend on Luka a lot to generate offense and open shots. And right now without Middleton, you you nailed it. Like Middleton accounts for like over a quarter of their pick and roll reps whenever, which is what, you know, they do whenever Giannis isn't doing his transition thing or his half court thing. And him not, I thought tonight you really could see it. Like Chicago, horrible matchup, not that they weren't going to challenge Milwaukee to go into their bag. Uh, I thought tonight that Giannis just wasn't quite as patient, I thought. And it was kind of like Giannis playoff bingo at different points. Like he was settling for jumpers. Mm. He was just sort of not, he, he, it wasn't the same level of performance I thought as game one. How about you, Bob? Yeah, I think it was, 
there was some shooting variants early on. I mean, a lot of it was the energy that the alchemy that uh, that they just seemed like they were ready to. I mean, there was that clip of Jalen Brown warming up three hours before the game, shooting threes, mm. whatever. But um, you have a collapsing defense. That's their style. They're going to try to take away the paint and give you the three. And so Boston was like, okay, we don't need to come down and just walk into a three. We can get the drive first, collapse the defense, get the threes, and they're making them. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I thought the most interesting thing was, and I'm not trying to be like a, a knob here, but um, I thought the most interesting thing was like, okay, they lose the best defensive player in the league, supposedly the DP, you know, in Marcus Smart, and their defense didn't miss a beat, which is not to degrade him in any way. It just shows you how good... I, t- I talked about this a little bit on Twitter today, like how many guys on that team are great defenders. And I think I rattled off like six. And so and it might even be seven, depending on your opinion on some guys. And so the, my, my point is, is like, that is a great defensive team, a great defensive scheme. And they didn't miss a beat at all without the guy who was voted the best defensive player in the league, which is pretty fucking remarkable. Yeah. The takeaway for me, just big picture, was just the defense on both sides, I thought was absolutely immense. Because Milwaukee, (laughs) there were a couple points where they could have rolled over and just gone behind by 20. And that it just would have been, all right, we already got one. But I thought in the third quarter and the first part of the fourth quarter, the defense they were playing and then all the stuff Boston was doing the stuff Grant Williams was doing against I was, Giannis. I'm surprised was, it took you this long to say Grant Williams. Oh he my was God. unbelievable in this game. Like, he was unbelievable. And actually, yeah. I thought he he probably pulled a couple, like at least two more charges that they didn't call on Giannis. But um, Williams was all over the place. He looked like those old Bill Russell highlights. He was like challenging absolutely everything. I thought Tatum, you know, I thought he was doing some really good stuff. And then on the flip side, I mean, Bob, I think, is the biggest holiday guy that, I knew before Holiday became kind of a cool thing, before Holiday got, got to a finals team, you were always talking about, you always had him like top, top fifth, as a top 15 player in the league and, th- and shit like that. You really mm-hmm. valued him the most out of anyone I knew. That would, the stuff he was doing today, like he was doing this Oscar Robertson shit on offense where the on 70s, yeah, yeah, these seventies spin, 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 slow down, and all of a sudden he's getting a layup. It's like, what is this, nineteen seventy one? And then on defense, he was guarding everybody. He was guarding everyone full court. He was guarding Tatum. He was challenging everything. He was hopping off one guy to fly there. I thought he was. I think he's been absolutely amazing this series. That's yeah, my Drew Holiday monologue. Yeah, he's a, he's unreal. He's one of my favorite players in the league for sure. And I think he does have a little fire in his ass about the Marcus Smart. Defensive Player of the Year. Thing. It I don't seemed think like any it. question. I would. I would love somebody to ask him. Hey, seems like you're a little fired up this series. Is could it be the uh, Marcus Smart thing? Will you I take a polygraph. About, um, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about Giannis. So Giannis wasn't that great today. Six turnovers. <laughs> Eleven for twenty-seven. He missed sixteen shots. Um, I thought he had, he only had three fouls. He could have had even more charges than that. They were confusing him. They were singling him. They were, you know, doing all these different things. The reason that he's the best player in the league, there's a bunch of different reasons for it. But one of the main reasons, if you're trying to think who is the best, is when they're not even that good and they could still have a dramatic impact on the game. Like he wasn't good in the game today. And he was still, there was a 12 minute stretch where he was dominating. I think he had 18 points at one point, like nine or 10 minutes. And I, to me, that's the last level of like a truly great player. 
if you're not even playing that well and you're still awesome, like that's the level LeBron got to, Jordan, like the the greatest guys, Tim Duncan could be dog shit, but he could be still be doing 19 things. Um, I was weirdly more impressed by a bad Giannis game than I would be by a good one. Does that make sense, Kyle? It does. I th- I think you, you really, I hate to say this because uh, we we in Kentucky, we've had a long kind of history with Grant Williams. I know that the, like, it's a pretty, you can go back and research this, but he was, I, I really think he, the success that they had in isolation, confusing Giannis, a lot of it was Grant Williams. I, I really do think so. I, I texted you at one point, Giannis normally, when he looks up and is like, who is the the malnourished gazelle on the on the savanna that I can go pounce on when he gets the yeah. ball off the rim? And I swear to you, we can go back and find this. He looked over to see where Grant Williams was. And Grant Williams has been kind of like trying to mess with him. He kind of did with it, this with KD last series a little bit. And you kind of just like roll your eyes at him. I know the, it seems like the Celtics players do that a little bit too. But no question. He, the success, you talked about the run that he had. The run that he had was against Horford and and Robert Williams in like the third quarter where he racked yeah. up a bunch of like fouls and things like that. And I, th- I think that's what you're talking about. Like the ability to get to the line and generate fouls with Giannis, I thought got a pretty good whistle too at, throughout this game. He did. But I I really think, I think Grant Williams had a lot to do with it. Honestly, he just kind of had him off balance and looking over his shoulder a lot. It was a PJ kind of a, out of that PJ Tucker playbook, just where he's just really strong now. And it's really hard to go by him. I my guess is in game three, I think Milwaukee's probably gonna try to post up Giannis and try to get him near the basket, almost like back to the basket stuff if Grant's on him. Cause he's got what, six inches, seven inches on him. He's so, not a dominant post player. I think they would welcome that. You uh, think so? You don't think they could like just jump hook over him and just try to get like little five footers on him? Yeah, but it depends on how deep position like Grant, you're he's like a tank. You're not getting great position. You gotta get deep. deep. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think Williams Grant Williams is the most valuable defensive player in this specific series for Boston because of mm. the matchup, and so it's it's interesting to me. Um, yeah, the thing, they just they've done a really good job of keeping him out of transition. That's, there's a lot of compounding effects, like when you're missing shots, Milwaukee's getting defensive rebounds, getting out in transition, getting out in fast breaks a little bit, and so when when Boston's making shots, the, the variance in this game will get even bigger because. It compounds. Shot goes in. It's less likely that Milwaukee's going to score on the extreme possession. Shot misses. It's more likely Milwaukee is. So you'll see lots of big runs, I think, in this series because of that. What I think Middleton's a bigger injury than Smart. Like if Smart just doesn't oh, come yeah. back for two more games, just yeah, they can kind of at Giants. least replace yeah. the the defensive kind of cohesion they have. They don't lose a ton with with White, and also, you know, there's no like. There's no awesome like guard in the series for smart to guard, right? There's not Giannis is the key to the series, but like the Middleton piece, I still that was why I picked Boston this series to begin with. I just found it hard to believe that that wasn't going to matter. It didn't matter in game one. We'll see game three. I don't, I don't know if home field home court advantage is even going to matter that much in this series. I certainly matter in game seven. If it gets to a game seven, I can promise you that Uh, that's not going away anywhere. Yeah. Usually home court matters as the series progresses in my experience. The game six and the game seven is where you really you really start to see it. I agree. Game seven is where it comes into play. I do I think Boston could go in and win game three, game four, one of those two, or or even both in Milwaukee, and then Milwaukee could come back and win game five in Boston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the one thing that really worried me as a Celtic fan, well, other than the white Pritchard thing. And if 
you know, they paid a pretty steep price for White. They gave up a first round pick. They gave up Josh Richardson, who was playing pretty well for them. You know, who I, I think compared mm. to they didn't, you know, they they can't play Aaron Neesmith. Like basically White's getting a lot of the minutes that Richardson was getting. And White at points in this game looked like when the ninth grader gets brought into a high school game because somebody was hurt and they just had the deer in the headlights. They Bucks weren't even guarding him. Been there. I mean, they were, they were like seven, eight feet off him. And please, please keep shooting. Defensively, I thought he did some good stuff, but offensively, man. Yeah. And then Pritchard's last two shots were an air ball and it, like one that hit the side of the backboard, it seemed like. So I, somehow during the game, he lost confidence. So that part worries me if we don't have smart for game three. Do you know how long he's out for? There's, I guess there's like, uh, what, is the, what is the details there? I think that they were hoping they would win today. Obviously, hoping they would win today, but hoping that, you know, Milwaukee got the game they're going to get. They weren't going to play as well as any game one. They could, Boston could steal game two, buy Marcus four, game, four days. Game three is until Saturday. Mm. So try to uh, just buy him some time, see how it goes. We didn't mention Tatum. Thought Tatum had a really fun game. It, he wasn't great. But he, there was a lot. He had to solve a lot of stuff. They were always throwing two people at him. Would you, Bob? Would you see what? Like, what's their strategy with Tatum? What are the stuff for their? Are they doing to him? I think they're they're willing to allow the simple screen drop coverage with the big, which they do against every team. And if he wants to walk into a three, that's fine. I think they've been punished from that a little bit tonight. They're they're just trying to take away with all of these guys. They're just trying to take away the rim. I think they would love for him to take more mid range. Um, versus drive and kick threes, which Boston has not taken a lot of mid-range um, of late. Mm. So I think they're just trying to make it as tough for him as possible down low and willing to live a little bit with non-catch-and-shoot threes from him. Um, it'll be interesting to see. At some point, Milwaukee will change their coverage. They won't continue to to go to a you know, simple drop coverage. I mean, they have a little bit, but they'll, I think they'll come up with some different coverages here a little bit at some point. Because as you said, they're, you, they're already picking up, the, their, pick, their point of pickup is very high because of the lack of ball handling. Now you can, you can start bringing in, some, you can start bringing in some, some, some more harder shows. You can switch a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive. Just allowing these non-natural ball handlers, once, they get, once the screen is set to have all this, this room because the big is dropping back to take away the paint and then everyone's collapsing, I think is, is, was a little bit more easy for Boston to handle than it was the first game when they started bricking a bunch of shots and couldn't really gain any confidence. Well, we're going Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday now. When we get to mm-hmm. Saturday, it's going to be every other day. You have the Celtics that basically played seven guys today. We did not see Tice. Tice was um, kept on ice. We had Milwaukee. They played eight guys. And they, you know, Carter had three turnovers, but at least was able to keep the defensive pressure on with them. So um, they're probably positioned a little bit better if Smart can't play. I, the honest thing scares the shit out of me. It's uh, It just sucks to go against him in a playoff series. I knew it. I thought he was the best player in the league. I still thought Boston was going to win. And then you're actually going against that dude. And he's just he's just clearly the best guy in the league now. Who wins this series, Bob? Um... I, I hate to pump you up a little bit more, but I'm 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 leaning towards uh, with a healthy Marcus Smart. I think Boston wins the series. I think because the defense, 
because of his defensive player of the year ability. Not just the lack no, I'm of saying having, the whole the team defense. You think that no, the, the I don't think Celtics so. I think defense? I think he's more valuable in the series on offense because he's not afraid to shoot to shoot and he can bring the ball. I mean, do you really want to have um do you really want to have like to rely? I mean, Pritchard's okay. I think Depends. I mean, you you have to rely on a combo of Pritchard and White, and I think the White offense is just too catastrophic, and the Pritchard defense is a little bit <laughs> catastrophic. So, well, I'm not. I'm just being. No, know, I'm, I'm laughing because it's true. I'm I'm laughing and crying at the same time. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, you just kind of have to pick your trade offs, your levels of survival. You're you're willing to accept, uh, like like he was talking about. Yeah, I think um, the Milwaukee thing. The fact that they've targeted something, the fact that Boston has targeted something this early that clearly has Giannis thinking this much. You know, we've had this happen over the course of his career where mm. you get these guys who are positionally strong. You know, like I said, he was picking on Robert Williams. I think people a lot of times assume these like uber athletes are guys that can really guard on ball. But I feel like Horford and, and Williams together both are positionally pr- pretty clever. And the lack of Middleton here, we we really feel it earlier. I think they're going to have to mix up. I was noticing kind of their cutting offense kind of went dry a little bit. This might shock you, but I think Bud waited a little too long to get creative. Like I think they're going to have to mix up their looks more than they more than they did tonight uh, because mm. they didn't have to this past game. And I think he just waited a little long. I think Boston. I'm 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 feeling pretty good about Boston. I, I was saying I thought a lot of the things that happened last game were correctable for them, and they got an epic Giannis performance. Um, their ability to sort of make it, change it up, and and change the way he plays offensively is going to really. And Drew, we'll see what we get out of Drew. You know, because once you cut Giannis out, all his satellites just fall from the sky. All the you know the Grayson Allen's the, um, the all the spot up guys that just you know float around him like a. <laughs> like those little sh- fish that follow a shark kind of the thing, they just die. So it, their ability to solve that, I think, is going to be what dictates it. I think an underrated thing in this game was Brooke Lopez playing 25 minutes because of foul trouble. I think that was you know giving him another 15 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever will have a big impact because that was really... He was very impactful in game one. Mm. They, they can defend a lot better with him. They can contest a little bit better. Portis isn't that guy. He's not a bad player, but he's not that guy. And I think um, that was a big fact, a big underrated factor in this game. I feel like he he went out because of foul trouble. He had to come out. The game kind of got out of hand already. By the time he came back, he picked up his fifth foul when they were making their run. Came out, and the game was out of hand. And so, um, I think that's an adjustment that isn't really an adjustment, but it's a change that like, if he's if he's not in foul trouble next game, it'll have a huge impact. Boston minus one thirty four on Fanduel. Thanks for thanks for boosting my confidence, guys. Who do we have at uh? Who do we have? From what you saw tonight, who would you take? Life depend on it. Gold State, Memphis in that series. I don't know. I'm so I'm so I don't make these like free. I I do my best preparation. But after tonight, like hot take, uh, I'm just 32 year old, 33 year old, 34 year old versus 22 year old. Whoop that trick playing in the building for a little bit for a few more games. I just think it's just I don't know. I'm just until I see Golden State figure something out defensively. Like that's why I've always said like gambling when you're gambling, you're doing like, don't predict what you think a coach should do. You try to predict what they will do until I see them change their defensive coverage until I see them. If they don't change their defensive coverages in the terms of getting the ball out of his hand, if they don't try to attack him more in pick and roll, I don't, I, I think they'll have trouble winning the series, but if whether, who knows, maybe they will make those changes and then it won't be that hard. Who knows? But I would, if I had to bet right now, I would probably bet on, 
Memphis and bank on the athleticism edge. What do you have, Kyle? I still kind of feel like I'm leaning towards the Warriors. Like I talked about that shooting variance. I I trust Golden State to kind of balance their stuff out more because, you know, the the thing that Memphis had going for them with Minnesota was you could pretty much count on that Minnesota was going to beat themselves at some point. Uh, they proved that in epic fashion. Um, I lean Golden State. Uh, they had a lot of... I do think the GP thing is big, but I just kind of feel like they are going to... Even, even with a, an epic... John Morant, I'm saying epic a lot, sorry, but uh, even with a big John Morant performance, they still barely beat him tonight. So um, I think it's an old school series where Golden State wins, but Memphis takes them every inch they can take them. And even though Memphis loses, it feels like a win because they have now arrived and John Morant is a superstar in the whole thing. Bob, before we go, same game parlay for tomorrow with with your old team, the Mavs. Mavs just... You could critique this one. Mavs adjusted line plus 10 and a half. Oh, we're not doing the adjusted lines. This is the biggest sucker thing in the world. We're going to save your, <laughs> your guys. No adjusted lines. Go with the regular lines. You're laying too much juice. So we're regular. I don't want an adjusted line. I'm sorry to be difficult. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. Right, I'll give you the I regular gave, line. I gave you two winners last time I was on here. Now you're throwing adjusted lines at me. Like, what is this? It's like <laughs> I'm right. getting, the cooler's coming in here and you're, you're, you're trying to mess me up. They're changing the deck. But in all these things, a pit boss is asking for my ID. I just want a regular line, okay? Mavs plus six. Ayton to score 15 plus points. Ayton to get 10 plus rebounds. And Luca to get eight plus assists. Plus 486 on FanDuel. Hey, is that so? You asked me what I wanted, then you told me what you're going to bet. Is that what you're saying? No, but I'm, I'm asking you to critique the bet. Do you like it? Oh, oh sorry. my goodness. What would I bet? Oh, okay. Um, hey. Sounds like you got yourself a hell of a bet right there. I would, uh, <laughs> you like that one. So you like, you, it sounds like you like the Mavs tomorrow night, though. Um, I actually don't. Okay, I would, I would, I would, I, I will, I'll give out another two-game parlay for your Let's hear it. fan that doesn't involve player props. Although the Aiton prop is probably the Aiton point prop is probably a decent prop. It's fifteen points. Okay. Um, I would take Phoenix and the what's the total? Total is two sixteen point five. Yeah, I would I would take the Phoenix and the over. That would be you would take the Phoenix minus six or the Phoenix money. I'm a point spread guy. I would just go minus six. I feel like yeah. if they're going to win, they're probably going to. I don't know. Maybe you could bet the money line if you wanted to be super nitty. But all right, so we could do Phoenix minus six, the over, and eight and fifteen plus points is plus three forty nine. It's pretty. There good. you go. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, Bob. let's. Uh, Bob a, loves the same it. game parlays. Kyle, Kyle might get in on that. I don't Kyle. love the same game parlays. You just <laughs> actually did the same game parlay. So what am I supposed to do? No, you, we basically you're have old two. school straight up. you just like, what? who am I taking? What's the line? And you go. Yeah. The same game parlays that I used to love were college football when the team was favored by like 15 and the total was under 40 or something like that. You would just bet the dog and the under or the favorite and the over and it was correlated and it was a huge edge and... At, it used to be that every sports book allowed you to do that. And then, then you would try to find the ones that still allowed it. So that was, this is like an old school tell, but those were the wow. ones. Yeah. yeah. All right. You can follow Bob Valgaris on Twitter. You can see Kyle Mann on the, on the ringer. Just did a, another classic video this week and on the ringer NBA show as well. You were on there with Waz this weekend, right? Yep. Sure was. Yep. And you're working on your draft stuff. All, all the time. You're either getting ahead or getting behind. That's what I was. Who do you have number one right now? Out. Jabari. It's shifting, Bill. It's shifting. Oh, I, I who's still it shifting I, to? What's going on? 
it's it's shifted a million times. Uh, okay. I, I, All I, right, I, I kind of. We'll hold on. We'll hold on. I'll ride. All right, we'll hold on. Thank you. Wait, before we go, we we just watched the Twitter clip. We took a quick break. Steve Kerr just really went after Dylan Brooks. Talked about how he broke the code. Um, he thought he should get suspended. He thought he tried to hurt him and all that. I've never seen a coach in recent history go after a player like that. Have you guys seen anything like that before? The only thing that comes to mind is like Jim Beheim in the, that Georgetown game. Remember when he in the press conference went off on, was it like Michael Brown or what was the guy's name that, that they... Uh, oh yeah, like a million years ago. Didn't throw out. I, that's the only... I can't... I can't think of another one like that, that specific. You think, Bob, you think there's some gamesmanship with that? He's trying to... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Get him suspended for game three? I mean, there's a little bit of... There's always gamesmanship in these press conferences. You always talk about... You always hear that. But I, I it, listening to it, it sounded like he was very passionate about his player and very disturbed that his player is hurt and, and, and feeling a, a lot of empathy for his player being hurt. And so, I don't know. I watched the clip. The clip to me, like I was like, Inso, that's a flagrant too. But in terms of like, I don't think he tried to hurt him. I mean, I don't, maybe, I don't know. Who knows? I don't, it's hard to say what the intent was. Obviously, I don't think he's missing like, oh yeah, I want to end this guy's season. And that obviously didn't happen. But I do think that it was, he was probably like, I'm not going to make a play on the ball here. And if I happen to hit him in the head, oh, so be it. I mean, these plays are so bang, bang. It's difficult. But yeah, I'm not sure. Do I think he gets suspended? Um, I didn't think he'd get suspended prior to this bit of so maybe yeah. it is ship. I don't know, perhaps. Who knows? It's it's very difficult. These guys will watch this thing a hundred times like the Subruder film and <laughs> see around a million times. Well you know, Kerr did say before the game, he was saying we expect this to be the most physical game we play this season. So I, I think they had a sense that the uh Grizzlies were gonna try to hockey it up. And at halftime they asked him about that quote and he was like, Well, that wasn't physical, that was dirty, I think is what he said, or something yeah. to that effect. Yep. So, well, there you go. Oh, we didn't. The other thing we didn't mention was uh, Doc Rivers, the the DeAndre Jordan. Um, <laughs> you was that Bob? Was that your favorite thing of the playoffs? No, the, Doc I mean, just trotting DeAndre out in both halves. I, I don't know if it was. It was just I was like shocked because I I really did think like okay yeah this is an easy adjustment. I mean look they don't have a lot of moves. Yeah. Regardless, like what are they going to play? Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap is arguably more destructive at this point in his career than DJ is just because Paul Millsap is, you know, a lot more advanced in his, and, but I mean, then what Paul Reed, I don't know. The thing is they're not going to out solid them in this series. That's apparent. So like, why wouldn't you just gamble it up and go small and see what happens? Like, I'm sure someone can handle bam out of bio. It's not like they're guarding, you know, prime shack or whatever, and they need a big body to bang. Um, I think there's a little bit of perhaps Harden wants a role threat. That could be that, and maybe that's why. But DJ just ain't that guy. Like he's just not that guy anymore. Well, the the question is: is Harden that guy anymore? I mean, that was <sighs> just he lo honestly looks like a shell of himself, and it's been that way for a couple months. But against a Miami team that knew that they had to just gear up against him, it doesn't seem like he can go out by anybody. Kyle, do do you see? Is this it? Have we have we turned the table on the James Harden era as a, as a superstar? God, there were some games in that last series, and I kind of poke fun at him in a vi the video I put out about Maxi, where he just looks like a corpse out there. I mean, if you if you take if you take away his rim pressure, he just doesn't. The only thing that's left is like the you know if you took it if you took Luca's rim pressure away, he could still cook you in ISO 
Harden just doesn't have that gear anymore. You know, when he runs mm-hmm. to the, when he gets to the rim, he's just kind of like falling over, jumping into dudes, the middle game. I, I don't know, man. It's, 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 it's tough when you, when you, st- if you're a heavy pick and roll guy like that, you start, you start taking away like the gravity that he relies on to manipulate. He just he's not going to beat anyone in the spread offense. Yeah. Like Matt, but, 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 you know, who could is Maxi and James Harden can be the secondary guy. That's possible. And the Maxi cooked in transition, cooked in. They have to beat this team with speed, anyways. And so, I mean, you're not, you know, you're, it's not the, the idea that, that DJ is going to go in there and like shore up the defensive glass. That's just not accurate anymore. So what he's does not he do that. at all? It wasn't accurate two years ago. <laughs> he's been done. Hasn't been yeah. accurate for a minute. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was interesting to see. Look, but you know they say that what they say the series is never over until the home team loses a game. So who knows? Well, I, I think know. that series. I personally think that series is an absolute wrap. I don't see any way that they win game two. And even if Embiid comes back, Philly would then have to win four or five. And I don't see that happening either. So I, I just don't see it. I don't see any way they can win Miami like zero. So I guess we'll find out. Miami's minus 590 for the series now. So it seems like Vegas agrees. All right, Bob, Kyle, great to see you guys. Thanks for coming on. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad from you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, Peter Schrager is here from Good Morning Football and from Fox. We had the NFL draft last week. Want to check in with him and see what he thought the big trends were. Uh, takeaways, draft gossip. The big thing for me is just the receiver binge that we're on right now, where the market for receivers is starting to edge toward quarterbacks. We talked about this the last time you we were on. Ben Solak theorized that the Christian Kirk contract that he got, making almost $20 million a year annually, just basically 
threw a grenade into the salary cap system where every guy's like, wait, that guy's making that? Well, I want this. And we've had so much movement. The, the shocking one for me, the more I thought about it over the weekend was the A.J. Brown, who's only 24. It's not like a Tyreek Hill situation where he's about to hit his 30s. Like you can kind of see the Chiefs wanting to, um, you know, maybe save some money in one place, try to reboot, try to get some rookie contracts in there. But the A.J. Brown thing, if you can't make it work with him, what's the point of having a contender? So what's your big takeaway with all this wide receiver movement? I thought the draft was interesting in that there were four wide receivers that were deemed by everybody as the guys. And you get these guys on rookie deals and it's Drake London and it was Garrett Wilson and it was Chris Olave and it was Jamison Williams. And I had multiple coaches who had picks in the 20s calling me a couple of weeks in advance being like, is there any way Jamison falls? I'm like, no, he's not. He Those guys will not escape the top 12. And they did not escape the top 12. And there was this four receiver draft. And there were two guys who were viewed as like late first, early seconds. And they went 16 and 18. And that was Dotson and Burks. And there's a big drop off. And then you start getting into the Christian Watsons and the Wandale Robinsons and the George Pickens and the rest. So those four guys were viewed as future number ones. And teams were willing to do everything it took to get into the top 12 to get those guys. When the Eagles realized that they weren't going to be able to get one of those players, they were like, all right, we'll do this deal with A.J. Brown. Now, the Titans, from what I gather, Tannehill was surprised that they couldn't come to terms with him. Uh, Mike Vrabel was doing local media about two weeks ago. And he three said, weeks long, ago, he said, as, yeah, no as way. long as I'm the head coach, he'll be on my team. But I think negotiations went in a certain way where they're like, we can't pay him what he wants. And for Howie Roseman and the Eagles to thread that needle to not only find a trade partner, which were the Tennessee Titans, to not only find the number one guy who's 24 years old, but also come to terms with a contract, all what seemed to be in a 24-hour span. This was not done weeks in advance. Like They were calling around, but it really accelerated on draft day. It was pretty miraculous. And I think Tennessee, who was the one seed last year in the AFC, I feel like the vibe out of that place is, yeah, we weren't we weren't able to pay him, but also like shocking all a little bit that if they don't pay that guy, well, then what does that say about the status of our team? Well, and then you had the Marquise Brown trade, AK Hollywood, which I that was a jaw dropper for me because I was like, wait a second, that guy's not worth the twenty third pick. Like I I don't get it. But then you you see like how the Packers didn't even draft a receiver, and you think like. I, I guess the market just shifted so dramatically on the receivers that it wasn't even about Holly. And I'm not defending the Cardinals because I thought that was a bad trade. Mm -hmm. But the market shifted so dramatically on receivers that all of a sudden Hollywood Brown, I guess, technically was kind of worth the 23rd pick if you could get the, you know, a third rounder back, which they got the 100th pick back. Get him, they have him under a two year deal. You could make the case his stats were better than I realized last year. Yeah. I know it's a 17 game season, but you got over a thousand yards. Um, they, he, he could ostensibly be a deep threat. Wasn't like the Ravens were exactly, uh, bombs away last year. So no, and I, there's a world you could talk yourself into it. So I kind of see it from their perspective more than I did Thursday night. And to your point, they weren't getting one of those top six wide receivers. So you're now looking at the seventh wide receiver. And I knew going into this, they were taking offense no matter what with that 23rd pick. It was either going to be offensive line or wide receiver. The last two drafts, they took inside linebackers and Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. That's not what Cliff or Kyler necessarily play to their strength. Um, so they were going to get a wide receiver. They went and got one. Now, from what I hear, it was a done deal for 
about a week, maybe several weeks, and they kept it quiet and didn't say anything. And they knew that this was going to be the trade. They already came to terms with it. And they came to terms with that, the Cardinals, when they realized they weren't getting one of those top guys. And so Hollywood is not only Kyler's buddy, they were best friends at Oklahoma. And I know that this is not so much an olive branch to Kyler, but like, we're going to get you your guy. We're doing everything we can. They also might have seen this DeAndre Hopkins suspension coming down the pike that not everyone mm, in the media might have known. That and we they apparently to, happened five months ago. That they wanted to maybe protect themselves a little bit and just make sure they got a number one. I'll say this. With the speed that Hollywood Brown brings, now forget whether he's a number one wide receiver or not. You add him to Rondell Moore, which they already have. You know, Obviously, DeAndre is going to be coming back, and then they also have... Uh, Zach Ertz, who they like, and then A.J. Green's coming back. It's a pretty good receiver options for him. Now, from the Baltimore side, you know, uh, Lamar's response was like WTF and everything. But like, from what I hear, Hollywood was was pretty happy to get out of there knowing that he was never going to get that huge second contract unless he left that system in Baltimore, which does not bode well for any wide receivers, let alone a guy that wants to be paid like a number one wide receiver. So if they, if the pick they got back with Brown was like 70. I think people would have been like, oh, all right, interesting trade. But because it was 100, then it's like, wow, they didn't get enough. But you think like, if they're trying to keep Kyler Murray happy, if they're all in on trying to just repair that relationship, it's almost like they had to throw in an extra 30 spots just to kind of lock it down to try to keep that piece happy. I I thought the trade by, I just don't understand the draft pick. I know they have the chart. But like the Minnesota trade confused me the most because you just mentioned how you just mentioned like basically everybody wanted to get in the top 12. That 12 spot that they had was maybe the most pivotal thing. Once those other three wide receivers went off the board, it was like Jamison Williams and then a huge drop off on everyone's board to Dotson and Burks and then off that. So that 12 spot was huge. Not only did they trade within a division, they traded and they didn't get a first round pick back. I thought it was very strange trade. And you know, Questy's a first-time general manager and everyone calls him the econ GM. Yeah. They're thrilled with it. They like what they got because they thought that they didn't need that position. They wanted uh, defensive backs. They got Lewis seen later on in the first round with that 32nd pick. But um, around the league, people were scratching their heads and everyone was complimenting the Lions for being so aggressive in making the trade. But the Vikings clearly had a, pr- a plan also and they didn't see that as a major drop-off and they still got their player, the safety, at 32. So they got, Detroit got 12 and 46. Mm-hmm. Minnesota got 32, 34, and, thir- and 66. And then they traded 32. They traded back and got the two seconds. So they're just, I think, and I saw this in Peter King's piece, and I heard a couple other people mention about people felt because of COVID, because we had that goofy season. That was why we saw older players. That's why we saw, you know, the Veterans, Ravens were yeah. trying to get all these third and fourth round picks because... They felt like this might be a year there's crazy amount of value there. The part I don't understand is just what you laid out earlier. It's like, you just want to be in the top 12. Drafts drop off. This draft dropped off. It was 12, and then you had the guy the Eagles traded up for, Mm -hmm. and then the safety at 14. And then it dropped off again almost. But man, if I'm trading out of 12 to drop, go back 20 spots, when has that not been a first rounder at least? And then you think like, the Saints traded up with Philly, gave up next year's first round pick in that trade. And then they traded up again. Trade up again. 
they I gave know. up so much for the receiver they ended up drafting at 11. That has to be one of the biggest premiums anyone's traded up for, for a guy who wasn't even one of the three best receivers. And I could tell you that, you know, Green Bay sniffed around. I don't know if how active they were, but they were asking, you know, what's... And then you had Kansas City sitting with 29 and 30. You obviously had Arizona. I think if Chris Olave, who's from San Diego and played in their backyard, was at 17, the Chargers would have taken him. Like, there were a lot of teams that were in the market. So for Detroit to get that... Now, from the Minnesota side of it, and I know a lot of Vikings fans are up in arms right now, it's like, all right, new GM, new head coach... This GM is not one of those GMs who grew up like living in a minivan, scouting players at, at every college. He he was working for Credit Suisse. He left that job to go work in the analytics group with the 49ers, worked his way all the way up. And he is taking a look at this thing in almost a, a, a asymmetric way as, as the GMs have looked at it in the past. Maybe his trade value chart is different and maybe they would look at their haul and say, hey, we have two wide receivers. So what we got, we're feeling pretty confident with and our defensive backfield is now solidified. But think if they had taken Jamison Williams. <laughs> have all three of them. Like, oh my God, the threesome? Wow. Jesus, especially like with the way the wide receiver contracts are going, they're going to have an issue with Jefferson probably in a year. Yep. You know, on top of all that, I thought that was fascinating. I, you know, the, then the Pats, obviously, who we'll talk about later with once we, it seemed like once we got past like the 22nd pick, the draft got super drunk got weird. and people were all over the map with who they valued and what was going on. And people are trying to add receivers and like the Pats on the second round took the guy who was the fastest guy in the draft. And the, the next pick was Pickens who is the classic, man, if this guy can bury the Get red flags, this is a superstar receiver. Of course, Pittsburgh takes him. Pittsburgh's drafted receivers better than everyone else in the league for 15 years. So they get that guy, and my dad and I were just the combo yeah, of that. You're not the only fan base. The Giants fans, they took a guy, Wandale Robinson, out of Kentucky very yeah. early. And Wandale was at Nebraska, couldn't really get his grip, then goes to Kentucky, has a great year, but is 5'8 on a good day. Yeah. And it really was like out of nowhere, had this amazing season. And Giants, they took him over Sky Moore, who you'd heard a lot about, uh, over George Pickens, over a lot of these guys. So it's going to be interesting because we go back and look at the wide receiver classes of recent years. And like Andy Isabella was drafted by the Cardinals in the second round. Right. He was taken before DK Metcalf. You know, like we go through it all these years. There's always the Nikhil Harry like, over Debo. Nikhil Harry later. over Debo. Absolutely. So you have these like, but these teams have a certain need that they want to hit. The Giants drafted a 5-8, you know, we'll see over some of these guys that were viewed as sure things. And I think every team has a different board. And I'm not going to dismiss Tyquan Thornton, who runs a 4-2-8 for that Patriots offense, because they might need that more than what George Pickens provides. Yeah, but the problem is you paid Aguilar to be your speed guy. So basically by drafting another speed guy with the second round pick that you're telling us the speed guy thing that you spent the money on didn't work. It was the same thing like they, I went back, it's it's dark. We could I, talk about it in the next break, but the, some of the trade up, trade downs that the Pats had, they sent they a lot of picks. They traded up, trade down. They traded up for Dalton Keene and Asi Asi. The two, two tight, tight ends, ends yeah. who both were busts, but they like spent a lot of draft capital on those guys and then had to do the uh, Hunter Henry and um, I'm blank, uh, Johnny Smith. Well, just to make the... up for all this other capital they spent on these two guys that were immediately busts. 
they broke the bank last year in free agency, and then they had a really good draft class last year. So there was a real did. positive momentum. Like, all right, you know, like here we go. They've got, a, and universally, this draft is raising a lot of eyebrows from the Patriots. And we can go deep into the first round pick if you want, but it, it's it's a shocker for me. I do all the work where I talk to all the teams. No one had that guy as a first round pick. Whether they want to say he might have been early second, and who knows, and he was not viewed as a top. 40 guy and they took him where they took him. The trade downs for them just last five years have just not worked. I went through, I actually went through everything they did, try to figure out what the hell was going on. It's pretty grim. It's, this is now, I, I think Belichick, it, it has expired with at least being able to not question him about the drafts. I was going to say, because, where are you at that point with that? Because a lot of it's five years, it's like, five, six years of this now. Yeah, it's like, you, you could do what you want. Hey, good luck questioning Belichick. I'll see you in a couple of years. And it's like, well. I mean, we had the Mac Jones and trading up for Barmore are the two big wins from the last five years. But you go through like the 2020 draft where they had a lot of picks, they traded a lot of stuff, they brought, they basically moved up, down, sideways, and then up with Kyle Duggar, who I think was good. a good pick. Good. Josh Uche. We'll see. Was barely Good. on the field down the stretch. Anthony Hardaway not playing. Asi Asi and Keen not playing. Robaster, the kicker, didn't even make the team. Nope. On Wenu, the guard, and Heron, the guard, the uh, offensive lineman, those guys have at least played. But that was, they started out in that draft with 23, 87, and 98 and a bunch of third rounders and didn't really do a lot. They had the, uh, the 2019 draft was the Kill Harry 32. They traded up for Jawan Williams, 45. Vanderbilt, who just hasn't... Can't play. Yeah. Uh, Chase Vinovich, who they also made traded. moves for. Yeah. Um, missed on a couple offensive linemen. Missed on the quarterback, Stidham, who can't play. And Jake Bailey, the punter, was the best pick that year. You go back the year before, Sony Michelle at 31. Duke Dawson, 56. The, the second best guy they drafted was Barrios, who they let go at 210. Who's having so, a nice little resurgence with the uh, with the Jets? In the in seventeen, they traded their first for Brandon Cooks. They traded sixty four for Coney Ely in seventy two. Coney Ely didn't even make it. Alvin yeah. Kamara was sixty seven. Cooper Cup was sixty nine, <laughs> yeah. and they ended up at uh, seventy two. They traded back again for eighty three and one twenty four. They took Derek Rivers eighty three, who's not playing. No, sure. Like there, there's a lot of these is my point. Like, I don't think Belichick can rest. Oh, look, my favorite coach I've ever had. Love the guy. Six Super Bowls, the whole thing. But you just got to look at the last six drafts and be like, these were not good. And that's yeah, and why they're in the spot they're in. And I think this year in particular, it's worth, you know, using a microscope because you lose Dave Ziegler, who I think was a very important part of the front office. Casario is now two years removed. Uh, McDaniels is no longer there. Mick Lombardi, who's Mike's son, who was very important on the offensive side in the last few years, is now in Vegas with with Josh McDaniels. Yep. Like you lose a lot of the brain trust, and there's new guys that you know. Ernie Adams isn't there anymore, so now Grow is getting a lot of Elliot Wolf. Like there's names, but it's not like hey, the gang is back together, and don't worry, trust us. It's it. A lot of those guys that were in his ear are gone, and you know you talk about like some of these picks and the wide receiver, and it's. All right, so who's coaching the offense this year? Is it going to be Joe Judge or Matt Patricia? If so, yeah. 
I'd like some indication of, of what values they put on their wide receivers and what they're looking for, because that's a big pick right there to take the Baylor kid. And I'm not going to question it until the season starts, but I, I would assume that I'm not alone in saying both he and Cole Strange went before they were listed on most teams' boards. Yeah, look, if Cole Strange is a great pick, fine. I, the question for me, and this is in basketball too, is could you have gotten him 20 picks later? Could you trade it back? Could you have done your version of that Lions-Vikings trade? Could you have moved back into the 40s, wherever you had to go, versus just taking the guy at 29? It seems like the the word on the Patriot streets was Belichick felt like somebody yeah. was going to okay. take him. And they All were just right. like, we really want this guy. Yeah, there's I an argument it. to be made that like, hey, if you're going to take him at 29 or 40, what's it matter? Just take him at 29. You got your guy instead of getting cute. But all right, you better be sure that someone's taking him at 40. Well, here's the thing with the Pats, and this is what worries me, is, you know, Lombardi, when when we used to work together, Mike Lombardi, mm-hmm. we, we always talked about blue chippers. And then he would do the blue chipper tiers. And who's a blue chip? Who's like, I think it was a white chip. And who's a starter, basically. But who are your blue chippers? And over and over again, the teams that had 8 to 11 blue chippers or 6 to 9, whatever the number is, kind of had a tendency to be in the running there in the final four and the final two. Like, you look at the Bills. How many blue chippers do they have? How many blue chip guys? They have, they have a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and they've missed a couple. They've missed on some running backs, but you go on both sides of their ball and they have like 8 or 9 kick-ass guys. And to me, like with the Pats, this was another draft where they didn't end up with a kick-ass guy. Last year, Jones and Barmore, maybe Ramondre. But Ramondre was good for them, but he's not a blue chip. I mean, he's a solid player. Yeah. Yeah, but that I think what we're seeing with some of these other teams is I, the Chiefs are a good example. Like they're prioritizing trying to get blue chips. Mm-hmm. And they went and they they traded ironically to the Pats to get the last good cornerback on the board, right? That guy, I don't know if he has a yeah, chance Mc, to be an all-pro. McDuffie's going to be, McDuffie's a starter. People really That's like day him. Day one starter. Star, starter, like worst case scenario, with a chance maybe he's yeah. even better than that. So I, I guess that's the question for me is when you look at the division they're in and the conference they're in, in these teams that are stacked, and we'll get to some of the ones that got better, the, the, there's just a lot of talent in the AFC. And at some point, it, it comes down to like, all right, where are your eight, and ten, eight to 10 guys, your best guys rank? against these other guys. And I think for the Pats, it's pretty low. Yeah. They don't have like, if you just go, if we did, if we did rankings of one through 16 in the conference and we went through every position, I don't know how, even including Mac Jones, who I love, but he's not like one of the best seven quarterbacks in the AFC at this point. No. You know? We did a draft on Good Morning Football and like the doldrums of the offseason of, all right, if you were to draft AFC teams right now and go one to 16, I think the Patriots were like 10. You know, and that's that's for a team that made the playoffs and had seven wins in a row last year and has the best coach of all time. It's just hard when you look like, are the Patriots better than the Broncos right now? Are they better than the Raiders right now? Are they better than the Dolphins right now? It's hard to be like, yes, yes, they are. All right. You look at the Seattle Super Bowl shrinks. Yep. Think all the blue chippers the Pats had in that game. Right. They Brady still at his peak. Gronk out of control. Edelman. Um, on the defense, you had some of the younger guys were really yeah. rising up into big time guys. That was the year I think they had Revis. Yeah. All the, the ones together. Year, yeah. Where it's just you go around, and it's like, all right, if we go through this, there's like 10 awesome guys in this team. Not to mention like a bunch of like the meat and potatoes guys. 
And I think that's where, that's what worries me as a Pats fan is it just feels that the AFC is so much better than the NFC right now. In the NFC, you might as well take, you could put money on any 50 to one team and it's probably not the worst idea. And the AFC is like, God damn. Like the Bills are a fucking monster. Bills are a monster and the Bills got significantly better this past weekend. Like they're, they moved up. You know, they're aggressive. They wanted Elam. They saw him as the same type of corner as McDuffie and he's, he's going to go. He's A.B. Elam's kid. Like he's ready to play. They wanted Dalvin Cook's little brother, James Cook. It, yep. Not everyone. Second round, 62 overall. Great. We got him. We added a really good running back who can catch out of the backfield. Like the Bills looked at this draft and were like, let's get better in the areas we need and let's fill in holes. They even got the punter in the sixth round, which people rolled their eyes and say a punter. But the San Diego State punter is a freak show. And they got him and they got better at every position they needed to. Um, I can't say that about the Patriots. I just can't. Well, we're going to take a break and then we're going to talk about the Jets because <laughs> there's there's a world in which this is starting to flip a little bit. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. All right, so I don't want to have Sean Fantasy on and talk about this yet. I don't want to jinx this for him. Frankly, he's a nice guy. We've worked together. We've had some great times. He's a Jets-Mets fan. Jets-Mets-Knicks which is not the threesome you really want to be if you're a New York fan. The Mets have a lot of momentum right now. The Mets fans are very excited. It's They're in the, shh, don't talk about this, but they're all mm -hmm. talking about it with each other phase yeah. of this. And then the Jets crushed the draft. Like, you had people leaving the draft, experts who were like, that's one of the greatest drafts I've ever seen. What, what, tell me what happened. Was it shocking? What was it like to be there for this? It was, uh, you have a chess board and usually the Jets are the ones playing from behind and just trying to play defense and they were the aggressors and it worked out exactly how they wanted. So, uh, speaking with those guys in the weeks leading up, it was, Hey, if sauce is there at four, that's the pick. And at three, the Houston Texans take a corner that isn't sauce. So already that's a win for them. They're like, all right, they're right. going to take Stingley. We'll take sauce. We're good. Then it was, we need to get Zach Wilson a weapon. Now, Wait, I don't can you know hold if, that for one second? Yeah. Why do you think they didn't take Thibodeau when 
you know, Sal has that Niners DNA of yeah. like, it all starts with the pass rush. Wouldn't that have been like the classic Salapic or was he not running this? Sure. No, I, I think he, he would have been fine getting Thibodeau. I'll tell you that they had Jermaine Johnson as high as Thibodeau on their board. Wow. So sauce to them at that point, corner is such a deficiency for them. They have nothing at corner. They were like, let's get that guy, bring him in. He could be the leader of our defense who is six foot two. And I mean, that's, that, that is their product. That's Darrell Rivas to them. If you're taking him fourth overall, that's how you view him. So they got him. Thibodeau wasn't there at 10. I think it would have been a conversation. Giants took him at five, but it wasn't real debate there internally between Thibodeau and sauce. They wanted the corner. Mm. So they get him. 10, they get Garrett Wilson. How much of that, how much is that we wanted the corner just like we're not getting out of this conference without a shutdown corner? I think that's is that what like it is. 90% it's, of it? I think that's a lot of it. I also think they looked at him as one of the the true sure things in this draft. And for the Jets, mm. they can't, they can't take a swing. They can't take any variables. Like sauce to them was their guy. Um, I'm not so certain. I think Hutchinson they would have taken if if they if he fell to four, but I'm not so certain they would have taken Sauce over Trayvon Walker. Also, that's how high they viewed Sauce going into this thing. Mm. Um, so they get him, they get the receiver, and then that's when it really gets interesting. So if they had just rest, gone to bed and said, "All right, we got Sauce and Wilson, we got our top corner and one of our top receivers," great. But Jermaine Johnson, who the red flag that I only see is that his age, that he's 24. And he's got, you know, a little bit more tread on the tires. They loved him. They had him as a top eight guy on their board. So when he starts slipping out of the top 10, top 15, Joe Douglas is working the phones. He could not find a trade partner. They finally find one at 26. And I can tell you, like, they are way more ecstatic about getting Jermaine Johnson as a third round, as a third first round pick than they were of getting the four and the 10 who they expected they'd get blue chip players. They viewed this guy that they were at the senior bowl. They saw what he can do and they love his journey because he went from, you know, Minnesota high school to a, to community college, to Georgia, to then Florida state. And then he bet on himself. He's like, I'm leaving Georgia where I'm not one of the top guys. I'll go to Florida state. And he was the ACC's defensive player of the year. So I, I, they are thrilled about that. And then night two, they had Brees Hall as a first round pick as a top 32 guy. And he's a running back out of Iowa State. No running backs were taken. Um, the rumor was that Houston was going to take him with the second pick of the second round. They call the Giants. They move around. They trade up. And they get in front of Houston and get Brees Hall, one pick before Houston. So to them, it's like, all right, four first-round picks. And then they get Ruckert, who's a kid from Long Island. He's from Lindenhurst. And he's like, as Long Island as you get as their tight end, who will be their third tight end, where they've got Conklin and C.J. Uzama. So... And yet, they're if, very happy. if Zach Wilson sucks, none of this yes. means anything. And that's it, Bill. Like, they're very happy, but they're also very, very aware of the situation. And, you know, I spoke to Sala, you know, after the draft, and he's like, yeah, we got great players, but we haven't done shit yet. Like, he knows. And Zach has to be good, and Makai Becton has to show up in shape because they passed on Iki Aquanu and these other guys. Like, there's a lot of other things that have to happen for actual wins on the field. But for a brief weekend, it's nice to celebrate that there's some competence with the Jets. By the way, speaking of the Pats, I was talking about the Blue Chippers. This is their Pro Bowlers by the year, starting 2010. They had eight, eight, seven, five in 2013, little dip, seven in 2014, seven, six, six, two in 2018. Three 2019, three in 2020, and one was a punter and one was Matthew Slater, and then 
three last year, Jackson, Judon, and Slater, and Jackson's gone. And Mac was an alternate and did the gritty after a penalty was thrown. Yeah. So <laughs> right. you got your there. But that's the thing with the, and look, I'm not going to question them on whether they thought Jackson was worth the money. But at some point, you got to pay money to somebody. I know. You know, all these other teams are. Guys are worth stuff. I was thinking about the value of, of the draft now with how the market has shifted with free agents, where if wide receivers are just worth more than they used to be, that explains all the stuff we were talking about with receivers, right? Where the best thing you can possibly do now is to get one of these guys under a really set contract. And if you end up in a Jamar Chase situation where you have a number one superstar, but now you have him on this cheap, it's almost like the cousin of the the cheap rookie QB. Yeah. Yeah. So the inefficiencies in the draft now like, what, what are the overpaid positions when the guy's actually a free agency? Cornerback's number one, right? Mm-hmm. J.C. Jackson, all of a sudden, 82 million, whatever. Receiver's another one. So it almost is like the draft reflected where the it's money, right, where the Bill. too much money has gone, right? So those cornerbacks going 3-4 actually make more sense than it yes. would have five years ago, right? Yes, and if you look at what Houston's roster is, it's a blank slate. So they say, okay, we got Tunzel as one of our tackles. We don't really have much other talent. We're not going to take another tackle, which is what everyone mock draft them to have. And they preferred Stingley over Gardner, so they took him, and they're just like, all right, throw throw daggers where you want. We're not we're paying him rookie money right now. We look at him as a number one corner. Jets did the same thing, and then the Chiefs move up to get McDuffie. They felt the same way there, and uh, you know, I don't know if if and it's funny because a lot of people told me that. Both J.C. Horn and Pat Sertan were ranked higher than Sauce and Stingley. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't. Yep. It, it's not one thing's equivalent to the other because it's a different draft class. So whether or not they thought Iki Aquanu was going to be great, Houston was like, "No, we want a cornerback because th- we have our tackle. We're paying him that money. We're not paying two tackles that money. We'll go and we'll do that and we'll spread it out and we'll have our corner for the next four years before we got to pay him." Your Giants, Thibodeau. Sorry to get in the Michael Strahan personality comparisons. Feels like there's a possible book. You might co-write his book. Who knows? <laughs> um, big personality. Clearly wanted to be in New York. That was another one where it, it was just so weird to me that Jets and Giants both seemed like they their fan bases were just super happy after the draft. But are we going to look back at this draft in a couple of years and be like, wow, that guy went fifth and Trayvon Walker went first. What was going on that year? That was stupid. Possibly. I, you know, and it's not like he went 15th, which I thought might've been a case, like the way people were talking Thibodeau down about a month before the draft where, you know, the things that he said were, were chilling to some in the old school football roots. Like, he oh yeah, God said, forbid like, you violate that. Exactly right. But I think some of the most, insightful stuff I got were for some GMs who were like, Schrager, he's a defensive end. Who gives a shit what he says? Go get the quarterback. Like, this is not the quarterback. Like, if he says he wants to be, uh, you know, the greatest player of all time, fine. Like, who cares? It's not like he's the quarterback. Um, All that stuff that, that, you know, people shook their head about with Josh Rosen and Cam Newton, about some of the arrogance that they gave off or the, you know, the, the smartest guy in the room. Like that's one thing when it's the quarterback and everyone looks to that player for Thibodeau. He has all that. His teammates liked him at Oregon and the stuff that he's interested in. It's not like criminal stuff. What it is, is he's into NFTs and crypto. And I think that turned a lot of people off because it sounded scary, but like do you talk to any 21 or 22 year old kid right now and they're into NFTs and crypto. Um, 
Thibodeau is going to be a huge media star if he develops and he's good. But what I loved about the Giants draft and Joe Shane's in his first draft here was they knew they had the five and the seven. They definitely wanted one of the offensive tackles if they fell to them. It just so happened that all three of them were on the board. They did the numbers game. With the chance, well, it's like, it's like a fantasy draft when you when you do the math and you're like, oh shit, I can yep. take this guy here and I'm still getting one of the other guys here. Spot on. So they, I, and this is true that they saw that sixth pick and they thought, okay, Carolina's at six. We've heard they want to trade back if possible, and if there's a chance someone wants Thibodeau, who we love, yeah. why even get cute with this thing? So they keep the pick. They take the defensive end. Carolina's like, oh shit, Iki is a local product. He's great. We'll start him right away. And then the Giants took Evan Neal, who they probably would have taken at five anyway. And they got both of them and they didn't risk anything by a team trading up to get Thibodeau. That's like, like not that Gettleman wouldn't have done that, but that's kind of like Joe Shane's a younger GM, sees it as a chessboard and says, okay, like we would on a fantasy draft say, well, the guy after me already has got his quarterback, so I don't need to take him this round. I'll take him next round. You know what I mean? So it was smart to see the NFL draft played out that way and not just get the card in. Evan Neal's available. Go get him. And then you possibly miss out on Thibodeau. Well, the funny thing is the only reason it played out that way was because of what the Jags did at number one. Did you get any intel now a couple of days later, now that people are starting to get a little loosey-goosey with what they actually think? If they don't take him at one, where does Walker go? Is there a possibility he goes to like the eighth pick? I, I think I think Detroit would have taken him at two. I do. I, I think you Detroit do. wanted I Detroit wanted pass rusher and it was gonna be either him or Thibodeau. And I think Detroit probably had Walker right up there. The whole way leading up to it, those final 48 hours, it was like, who's going one? All right, Walker's probably going one, but if he doesn't, Hutchinson will. And if one of them goes one, the other one will go two. So I think Detroit would have taken him there. I think Houston would have considered two. So he was that that compelling uh, defensive player coming into this draft because, and I hate to put this mm. comparison. I mean, those nine and a half sacks were something. Nine and a half career sacks, right? Yeah. Um, because of what Micah Parsons did last year, and it's strange to compare him because they're not the same player, but yeah. the versatility of like, okay, in 2022, if you could play a guy over center, outside, inside, and he's got this huge upside, like he's 270 pounds. And he runs like the wind and everyone says he's as dynamic an athlete in this draft. Now, would the safer pick have been Hutchinson? Yes. But uh, Jacksonville, not only did that, they went and got Devin Lloyd, their next pick. So Mike Caldwell, their defensive coach, comes from the Todd Bowles, uh, Tampa thing where it's like, let's send the house. And let's 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 what if what they happens. had taken so, Sauce Gardner one? What would the reaction have been? I think there would have been a lot of, oh my God, a corner was taken first overall. He better be Deion Sanders. You know, I think people have a lot, lot yeah, better there's no way to win. Maybe they should have, my dream in this scenario is the team just lets the 10 minutes run and doesn't Someone take else. somebody and has somebody we so that the they pressure. can slot them. They slot them in a different thing. I will say this though. I give him a lot of credit because I, I don't know Trent Balky at all, but his history is he'll always take the athlete over like the college performer. So they took Anthony Davis, uh, mm. a tackle over Brian Bulaga when that was a big head scratcher. They took Alden Smith over like JJ Watt and Robert Quinn. And he's a man who is true to his scouting. And now he goes and gets this job and you're the GM of a team. Do you want to sacrifice your convictions and what you do? Or are you just going to do what the mock drafts tell you? I mean, he, they obviously banged on the table for Trayvon Walker when not a lot of teams probably would have taken him first overall. I have a game I want to play with you before we go, but let's, can we quickly just tell me where Baker Mayfield's going? <sighs> I don't know. I don't. 
Seattle made too much sense. And then we had Pete Carroll on, on the NFL Network. I was doing day three and like, I didn't get the overwhelming feeling that there was a chemistry or interest there. Um, Carolina not only has Sam Darnold, but they drafted Matt Corral, who I knew they liked anyway with that pick. So I, I don't know what happens with Baker, Bill. I honestly don't. And last year was the summer of Aaron Rodgers. I could see this dragging on and on and on. Do you think it gets to them just releasing him? I don't know if they would release him because... They can't bring him to training camp. They cannot bring him to training camp because... Or, of, or could they think, well, what, maybe Deshaun will get suspended for eight that's, games. Well, yeah, and, that's why they have Jacoby Brissett, though. Like, And I, I also think that's because... <laughs> Did they see Jacoby Brissett play last year? No. I was like legend. his last fan, but he was horrendous last year. But Baker is such a personality where I don't know if... A, he would do it, and then B, like if you could put the toothpaste back in the tube on that one, it might just be toxic to have him around. Yeah, it's a weird I'd, deal because two it's a lot of, years, of money. You're not, they're not, they're not getting a pick for him. They no. might have to attach a pick to him. So if you cut him, and then the Steelers can sign him, or the you know you name the team that you don't want to sign him. At least if you trade him, you kind of control where he ends up, but. At this point, I don't have a suitor for him, which is really difficult because he was one of the good quarterbacks in the NFL two years ago. In a in a vacuum, Dimes or Baker Mayfield for Giants QB next year? Just who would you rather want as a Giants fan? Not not media person. I would think Baker Mayfield. That's I think if you go through the list, there's 10 quarterbacks that if Baker Mayfield, you're telling me he's healthy, there's just no way he's not better than. Like whoever Carolina starts next year, he's going to be better than that guy. Now they might not care because they might want to bottom Seattle, out. Seattle has Drew Locke, Geno Smith, and Jacob Eason. They did not draft a quarterback. And Pete Carroll's whole mantra is like, chip on your shoulder, compete, compete. It makes too much sense. And yet nothing did not, did not even offer a seventh round pick. Like it's shocking to me. He's I actually Seattle. think you could make a case that that Seattle crew is the worst group of quarterbacks people have gone into the start of a season with who weren't trying to like intentionally tank a season. A couple of years ago, after Peyton Manning retired, Denver rolled out Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, and Mark Sanchez. And I remember being like, this is the, and at least Paxton Lynch was a first round pick. Right. And you're like, I, this is the nadir. And it turns, <laughs> out, turns out it wasn't. I think the Baker thing's bizarre. Strange. They made the final round of the AFC playoffs with him. Like you can't be bad. I'm not a fan. I wouldn't be like, oh, cool, the Pats traded for Baker Mayfield. It's going to be an open competition with him and Mac Jones. I'd be like, what? But he's he's decent. And his whole his whole career has been, I'm the underdog. Meanwhile, <laughs> Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick. Oh, so like, but yeah. now he actually is the underdog. And it's like, all right, I I would roll the dice on Baker. Now I know his personality is a lot, but it's nothing that's like toxic. No one hates Baker Mayfield. It's it's just a lot, you know? Plus, they made a trade that I think if the trade is available two months later, the price is way more expensive. For what they paid for Amari Cooper. Crazy. And then how the wide receiver market explodes. Fifth round pick. It's, I'm going to say he probably should have gone for more than that. All right, we're going to play a game. I'm just going to go through every division. You tell me who you think is going to win the division. And then I'll tell you what the odds are on FanDuel. <laughs> I love this. Let's do it. And... We'll see if there's some value. So AFC East, we both say the Bills, right? Yes. There's no, we don't see anyone else in that division. No. They're only right. minus 180, which are pretty good odds. AFC North. I'm going to say the Cincinnati Bengals will repeat this year. I like them the most as well. The odds in the AFC North, 
Cleveland plus 185. Baltimore plus 200. Cincinnati plus 220. Pittsburgh plus 850. Why? So I hadn't looked at this until today. I assumed Cincinnati was the favorite. They brought everything back and got better. They added offensive line play. They also didn't lose their coaches. It's like purely Super Bowl hangover. Or That's like people, the only thing where they factor that in now as part of the odds almost. The other thing would be that they think Lamar Jackson is superhuman. And if he's on the field, that none of this happens last year for Cincinnati, which is fair. But I, to me, I, Bengals got better and like they did win those games in Tennessee and in Kansas City. And those were real. Great kicker. The Great Browns kicker. being plus 185. The Intriguing. only way that... Only way that makes sense is if Deshaun Watson, you're telling yeah. me I'm getting 17 games from him. I do not think that's going to happen. Even then, I still would take Cincinnati, I think. Me too. All right, so yeah. there's one piece of value. Bengals plus 220. AFC South, who do you have? I'm going to say the Indianapolis Colts. They're the favorite. Minus 105. Tennessee minus, uh, plus 145. Jags 7-1. Texans 26-1. That feels like a stay away to me. I don't like that division. <laughs> AFC West, who do you have? This is another one that surprised me. Uh, this is I, this is the best division that football has seen in probably 10 years. I love this division. I can go one to four any other way. I am going to say that they have the Kansas City Chiefs at the favorite spot, but I might go Raiders. Interesting. I would have said the Chargers were the favorite. Really? They are not. Chiefs plus 155, Chargers plus 240, Broncos plus 260, Raiders 7 to 1. Let's, I'm telling, you add Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, the two best for like acquisitions and a new coaching staff. I, I feel pretty good about the Raiders. I think people are thinking maybe players 15 to 50. Yeah. Probably a little weak on the Look Raiders considering offense. they missed so many draft picks over a couple of years there. That's but true. yeah, you're they right. Had, the offense. The offense, you've got Adams, Waller, Renfro. you got the running backs. Uh, they drafted another running back out of Georgia who I like. I mean, Carr is a good quarterback. I think the Raiders can compete. I like the the cornerback the Pats took and the punt returner guy. Yeah. And the running back they got, my guy, my new guy, Pierre, the James yeah. White replacement. Yep. Do you see his pass catching stats? We He's didn't all, have a guy. He, we didn't have a third down back last year. They're using Brandon Bolden. Yeah. He's Brandon Bolden, by the way, along with Deron Harmon and Jacob Johnson and all those guys, they all came to New England and they all came to Vegas. And I kind of like that for the Raiders too. Mm. Well, Chargers plus 240. I just think they're going to be the favorite by the time we get to the end of August. I think I people like are going to stare at that team. They're going to stare at some of the goofy losses they had, some of the dumb decisions the coach made. Um, and they're going to be like, wow, is this team, should they have won two more games last year? And they did, yes. Are they two wins better than they were last year? Yes. And I think they'll talk themselves into it. All right. NFC East. Who do you have? Gosh, I would still go Cowboys over the Eagles. I just feel like Dak is the best quarterback in that division and they're good enough. It's a disgusting division right now, but I would go rank them Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Washington. All right. Cowboys plus 105, Eagles plus 240. Washington plus 450, Giants plus 650. I like the Eagles. I do too. I, I actually they... thought they were going to be very close as favorites. And I think Dallas just gets, 
I just think they get a lot of, oh, it's the Cowboys, just pencil them in. There's no way the Cowboys are better this year. There's no way. Zero percent chance. I have this taste in my mouth from obviously both playoff losses from both those teams, but that Eagles-Buccaneers playoff game, it's yeah, hard they seem pretty to, far away. You're right. It's hard for me to come up and be like, well, no, they got so much. Like, yeah, they got AJ Brown and Cam Jurgens and a bunch of, you know, Nicobe Dean. But I, I don't know. The Cowboys, at the end of the day, it's still CeeDee Lamb and Dak and those guys. And I thought that Dallas had no right being coming back into that game in San Francisco. And yet they almost pulled it off. I don't know. I hate that division right now. Dak Prescott, a.k.a. Kirk Cousins with better PR. <laughs> What 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 is the difference between Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins? I'm still waiting for somebody to explain it to me. What's the difference? Kirk they Cousins both put has, up a bunch of stats. Neither you don't win in the playoffs with either of them. And Kirk Cousins has won a road playoff game. Dak hasn't. I don't know. If yeah. Kirk Cousins did what Dak did in that San Francisco game, we would be talking about it three months later and still making fun of him. Because it's Dak, it's like, oh well, you know, oh, this must have been the sidelines fault. Who gets a bigger free pass than Dak? It's a good take. It's a good take. It's not even argue. a take. It's a fact. Him and Kirk Cousins have the exact same stats. I did this on my pod a couple months ago. They're the exact same. And Kirk Cousins takes a bunch of shit, and everybody thinks Dak Prescott is as good as Patrick Mahomes. Who would you rather have, Cousins or Dak? I think it's an argument. It's fair. I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not a Dak guy. I've never been I don't, like, I honestly, I don't really like either of them. Yeah. What about Tannehill? I think that I think those two guys in Tannehill are all on the same yep. level. And Dak had a lot of weapons. And those weapons aren't going to be as good this year. They also have a weird Zeke Elliott thing they got to figure out. I'm on the record. NFC North, who do you have? Packers. Then Vikings close, though. Mm, see, so FanDuel does not have it as close. Packers minus 180. Vikings 3-1. to one. I like the Vikings there. Yeah, me too. I thought that was going to be like airtight between Me those too. two. The I'm Packers shocked. are unquestionably worse than they were last year. And the Vikings are unquestionably better. They got a great young head coach and they've got a whole new vibe to them and they did really well in free agency. I, I like the Vikings. Yeah, and it's possible Mike Zimmer retired like two years ago. NFC South, this is clearly Tampa. We don't need to go over this. They're minus 320, Saints plus 500, Carolina 11-1, Falcons 19-1. That division is an atrocity. Yeah. He's trying to figure out if the Saints, if there was a way Michael Thomas comes back. and Alave's good. Thomas is back. Yeah, and they, they did, I know. But then you got Honey Badger. Like, they don't think they're done. They they drafted in a way with pinning and that, like, that they think they're still in this thing. No Sean Payton. NFC West. Who do you have? I have Rams. One. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say... Based on just like institutional, like whatever, 49ers two, Cardinals yep. right there three, and then big drop off four Seahawks. You nailed it. Rams plus 140, Niners plus 185, Cardinals plus 310, Seahawks 10 to 1. So did you think, see the did you see the McVeigh reaction to the Cole Strange pick? Did you follow all that or no? I took it as a compliment. I thought I, I felt know, like it he was. liked I think it he was. liked Cole Strange, and then everybody tried to be dicks about it. it and was. then and then yeah. Um it was. He was He was annoyed that they were bothering scouting him, thinking that he could be around for the fourth. And yeah, and then Shanahan was like, that guy was good. I thought we yeah. thought he was first round talent. Yeah. So I, that made me feel better. Um, I think Rams plus 140 is great value because with the Niners, I don't know, our dude Trey Lance, are we sure? Don't know. We sure he's going to be good? Like, what? I have no idea what's going to happen with him. What if he's not good? So they... 
they swear he's good. Like I talked to guys there and they're like, no, no, no. But it's not the same. We swear he's good that you heard from Mahomes that first year where I was like, holy shit, Alex Smith is right. getting em embarrassed at practice by this guy because he's so good right. and Alex Smith knows it. It's one of those where it's like, no, no, you don't see it. But he did start three games and showed very little flashes. Now, the, the issue is Jimmy's still on the roster. Jimmy, he got the shoulder surgery before the combine. So his price on the open market just plummeted. Like, and we know Jimmy Garoppolo is a different kind of cat than a Baker Mayfield or, you know, you name it. I, I'm not 100% certain that Jimmy's not around come training camp. Like, they're not going to trade him for 10 cents on the dollar. And at this point, the draft is over. By the Jimmy, way, you could, you could look at Jimmy stranger and <laughs> things have happened than yes. Jimmy just being the starter in September. Yes. And Jimmy being like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll compete. Let's go. Like, uh, Jimmy is as unique a dude as there is in that like he does not take this stuff personally he doesn't he just is like i'll go out and i'll compete and i'll do what i do and you guys can shit on me if you want and you could draft a trey lance if you want like jed york said something very compelling at the league meetings he was like we had montana and young in the same room for years nothing is impossible with trey and jimmy who are neither one of them are like combative guys so niners are fascinating because if they can't trade jimmy garoppolo for a premium pick and they have him on the books already. Like, I don't know if they trade him at all. Yeah, and there's, it's weird because there should be more of a market for quarterbacks with how bad some of the starting quarterbacks are. But some people are just kind of all in on 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 their chips with these guys that we don't like. The Giants, I guess, they have to do one more year with Daniel Jones. But if I was the Giants and I could get Jimmy G for fifty cents on the dollar, I'm doing that. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I like Jimmy G. I think, by the way, he's another one. Like Jimmy G versus Jack, Dak Prescott. People would say, oh, Dak Prescott's better than Jimmy G. Kirk Cousins is better than Jimmy G. It's like, is he? Is he? Jimmy and, G won a, won a few playoff games. Yeah, and was playing with a torn thumb and a torn shoulder and like does it. So the I was impressed by him last year. He was fucking banged up last year. And he was tough as shit in those did games. Did as much he, as he could do in those in the playoffs. He threw some terrible passes he against did. Green Bay and against Dallas. So does Dak Prescott. Like, and you're like, what? So does what? Kirk Cousins. He didn't hurt them in those spots. Now, if Jaquaski Tart intercepts that pass against the Rams, we could be talking about Jimmy G as a Super Bowl, you know, contender again. Mm. But you know, I it's fascinating because he's got a different personality than a lot of these other quarterbacks where I, and also like in the off season, from what I'm told, like he's not reading blogs. He's not like, he kind of goes off the reservation, just kind of does him. So his person, his, his ego is not going to be a main factor on this thing where if they're like, Hey, we couldn't trade you. Sorry. And he's like, all right, let's go. Let's roll. You know? I think he'd probably be happy to come back. It'd be Over like going and, to some shitty city where the, he's going to go five and eleven here's the question. or five and twelve. Do you think he'd be willing to be number two? I think he would, and he'd be like, "Yeah, just when my when my name is called, let's go." Yeah, and there might be some teams that take a look at their quarterback situation, whether it's in August or even after the season starts, that Jimmy becomes a little more appealing. Like here's Houston's a good you. example, right? Houston's good. I mean, sure, it, they've they got Davis Atlanta, Mills. like Mariota with no offensive line. When is he getting hurt? Yeah, Mariota, and they got Ritter now, who you love. Um, they took Ritter's him the my third. guy. I know they took him to third. I thought That's that was good. a good team for him. Yeah, I was excited for that. Um, here's a question for you: Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo? If you have to pick one straight up, who are you taking? Jimmy, J unquestionably really? Jimmy. Yeah, coming off a shoulder and significantly older, just winner done it. Yeah, I the Baker thing, the the height thing with him, it's 
as I get older and I watch this stuff, like if you're going to be short, I needed to move around. Like that, that was where Wilson was for years where it That's was like, Tua. Tua's not a mobile quarterback. Everyone he's not. I he just is. don't he's like not. the short. It, All right. Next so year. So tired of watching that stuff getting batted down, you know, and Russell Wilson, because he could move, was able to defang that. Alabama's got a kid, Bryce Young, who everyone says yep. is going to be number one overall, but he's about five, nine. Um, you have to be like an, a crazy athlete to pull like that Kyler off. Kyler is as crazy an athlete as it is, and it, it does affect him out there. And in the NFL, it's different, right? You know what I learned this? Doug Flutie. Okay. 80s. My dad, this is why I, when I loved Boston College before I went to Holy Cross and I had to disown Boston College. Um, we had season tickets the last two Doug Flutie years. So Did we you? went to a I bunch of those games. Were you at the Hail oh, yeah. Mary game? No, no. That was, a, I think that was in Miami. Was it Miami? But okay. we were watching that. Like, and Flutie was so incredible. It was a slam dunk. He was going to be an awesome NFL quarterback. And it never happened. And then he had like a little bit of a resurgence. Yeah. Buffalo with San Buffalo, Diego. But yeah. for the most part, like you have to be like this Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson level athlete to pull off that height. And that that's really the only time it's worked. And I just look at Baker. I think he's figured out a way to make it happen. And you can patch it together if the team's really good. But I'm still taking Jimmy. I just think... You know, at some point, those games, like those cold weather games he was in, where half the passes you were terrified, but I don't know, there's a sturdiness to him that I'm just not getting with Baker Mayfield in seven degree weather, you know? And this is an intangible thing, but like to a man, all those 49ers guys would lay in traffic for Jimmy Garoppolo. That matters. I don't get that, don't get that sense with Baker. Not that he, they don't like him, but like, and no, yeah. I mean, Odell's stuff aside, at no point during this entire thing with Deshaun Watson did we see any Browns player come out and be like, hey, they did Baker dirty. Like, not one. So that, to me, tells me something, too. Well, you know the other thing? I was thinking about this. Everybody's getting bigger on both lines. Like, football players. There was... Who was the dude? I think it was Ravens. the Ravens. They took Falale a 6'8 guy. At a Minnesota. 6'8. 390 pounds. He's the heaviest player ever to be drafted. Both sides of the ball. These dudes now are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". But in our heads, like the quarterbacks have kind of stayed the same height. So Doug Flutie being 5'9 in 1987, not as big of a deal as it is now where the everybody else is three, four inches taller and the hands are bigger. Thinking like wingspans, things have moved up 10, 12 inches. So and I'll tell you, Bill, this is good because, you know, Cliff gets a lot of shit. Uh, you know, he, is, he does, he's not whatever as a head coach, but that offense is built specifically for Kyler Murray. And it's built like a lot of that for him stuff to go is, side to side. Yes. And yes. it's built around his height and around his it's a negative with the height, but it's also a positive in that it's for his mobility. So when you plop in Kyler Murray into say another offensive coordinator, another head coach, it might not be the same as an offense that was built specifically around him. Now, Lamar Jackson's taller, but Greg Roman has built an offense around Lamar Jackson specifically so that he could excel to his greatest ability. But like with Kyler, you know, everyone's like, well, Kyler, you know, if you traded him to Carolina, I, I don't know if Ben McAdoo's having the same success with Kyler Murray as Cliff Kingsbury, right. who's up all night drawing an offense up for the quarterback specifically to have the most success possible. And I guess Breeze was technically short, but he was, I think he's six feet. Yeah, he's also the most accurate passer in the history right. of sport. And so his thing was, I'm getting rid of the ball immediately. Mm -hmm. Wilson, who was shorter, but was just such a superhuman athlete at that position. And that's what was missing the last couple of years. We'll see if it comes back in Denver, but interesting topic. All right, Peter Schrager, good to see you as always. Um, we'll check in over the summer. I know you're going to take some time off, um, but we'll be rallying back here at some point.
it was great to catch up with you. I love yeah. being on the pod and we'll do it plenty of times, plenty of times more before the season starts. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Bob and Kyle and Peter and Kyle Creighton for producing. Steve Cerruti and Dylan Berkey. We'll see you on this feed Thursday night. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com.